welcome in to another episode of Sweat and Bullets, a fantasy football podcast, part of the Bulletproof Podcast Network, even though we don't have a whole lot of shows on the Bulletproof Podcast Network, but I'm going to just say that. We have a couple of them. We have a couple. We have a couple. It's a network. And that voice that you're hearing is a voice prominent in the other show on this network. Uh, it is not Drew. That's why I'm speaking the intro today. This is, of course, Akash at YZR underscore fantasy, uh, because we always need to make sure that our ratio of people with normal English Twitter accounts and people with combinations of letters is one-to-one. Akash, welcome to Sweat and Bullets. How are you doing? Yes, sir. Drew was out with vacation, uh, rolled out earlier today, and so I'm getting the start here. Very excited. Who would you say takes better opportunity or takes better use of opportunities granted by vacated targets you or noted wide receiver three if keenan allen or mike williams gets <laughs> josh palmer i knew you're about to say that and it's definitely me uh 100 because i'm stepping up here and palmer you know he's he's more hit or miss there's really no one do, doing it like me and so joshua palmer <laughs> in all of his uh what is it 10 points per game greatness. i mean yeah he's been he's been a decent wide receiver three if keenan make points this time and they missed a lot of time decent by mageddon sometimes if six teams are on by he's a wide receiver three fill in joshua palmer absolutely what he's i mean the prophecy very much came true all all of the bit equity about joshua palmer that we engaged in over the summer uh essentially cursed keenan allen to never playing football this season i know and it's what is happening in your background sir I got roommates. <laughs> they, they are they are, are they playing the drums? Yeah, they're dropping stuff. I don't know. <laughs> okay, I'm, we have... I'm death. I'm like death. Glare. All right, all right, everybody. Edit so that out. This is sweating bullets. This is sweating bullets. We got me. We have Akash. We have Ringo Starr living with Akash, just hammering the drums in the background throughout. Uh, we're gonna talk about a few different things today. Uh, mostly, this is gonna be sort of a trade deadline themed episode. You know, this is a crucial time for dynasty teams. Some for in some leagues, the trade deadline is this week, and some it might be next week, and some you might be right at the start of the playoffs. Other leagues where people just run around doing whatever they want, stripping their clothes off, running nude, uh, snorting cocaine off people's yeah. shoulders on nudist beaches. There's no trade deadlines. That's my right? kind these, of league. These crazy people. Uh, but if you're, you know, if you're not in that kind of league, uh, there is some form of deadline impending within the next probably two to three weeks at most so we're going to talk a lot about that we're also going to talk about some of the some of the big news of the week players potentially ascending into whole new roles that we didn't foresee for them uh very notable players getting hurt uh we're going to talk it all through here on sweat and bullets let's start off with uh something that i talked about in in my article in two two players i want to talk about that are, are very very much within the meme discourse of the Bulletproof Patreon. Uh, we'll start with Ken Walker. Uh, all of the Ken Walker tweets were firing on Sunday morning when he put up eight targets, six catches, 55 yards on over 70% of the routes in London. You know, we had just talked through, Drew and I, the who is the Dynasty RB1 bottle episode. And what we had said is that Kenneth Walker was not catching passes, which was very much the case. He entered last week's game 
Second last with 0.46 yards per route run among all running backs with 10 plus targets. Only Miles Sanders was the running back with 10 plus targets beneath him. Turns that around in a big way. Akash, is Kenneth Walker now like Austin Eckler? Is this now the world we're living in? Is the light <laughs> switched on? What 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 are we thinking about Kenny Bullets now? No, so just like rookie Kyle Pitts can only catch touchdowns in London, Kenneth Walker can only catch passes <laughs> in London. <laughs> No, Do they're you, in Germany, right? They're Germany. They're yeah, in Europe. Germany. Whenever they're in a, and we're in Europe. Continent. You have to go to an entirely different continent to find Kenneth Walker catching passes, and so this doesn't. So this doesn't mean that it's going to be something that's entirely changed for Kenneth Walker. You know, uh, spike weeks do happen, but by and large throughout the season, Kenneth Walker's been most of what we expected him to be. Where he is, you know, before this game almost dead last in yards per hour run. Even so, after this last big game, you know, like you said, the Hitchhiker's Guide, use the entire season for your analysis. And then over the entire season, he's been better than dead last now that he's had that big game, but he's still not in the top 50th percentile. He's even in the top 75th percentile. No, he's right outside. He's 46th of 60, if you set it to minimum 10 targets. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I don't know. I, I think with Walker, like, you know, one of the things that I think is an issue in the fantasy space is like our human brains just naturally want to find patterns in things, right? When things appear mm-hmm. random, we want there to be an explanation. When things get better, we want to assume that there's an explanation that is why they got better and they'll continue getting better in that way. When things get worse, we think the same, they'll continue to get worse, right? Like it's why essentially Justin Fields now feels like he is it's incapable of ever scoring less than 40 points at a fantasy game right now but it feels like lamar jackson is like so distant from ever being able to provide this level of fantasy production even though when you look at their full seasons it's almost the exact same right you had lamar jackson have these two massive spike weeks mostly fueled by rushing weeks two three fields has it in weeks eight and nine but the inertia just really has such a hold over us where we think like there has to be a meaningful trend right there has to be a meaningful trend to all this and that, that, in my opinion, is wrong. It's the wrong way to look about, it, wrong way to look at it. That being said, with rookies, you know, we have to be careful because sometimes rookies do just legitimately progress to a major degree throughout the year. Look at Amon Ross St. Brown, right? You know, there we saw it over an extended period of time, but he was pretty mid for, I don't know, 10, 11 weeks or so. And then he goes ham, right, for the last month and a half of the season. And so, it's easy to look back now and say, oh, well, that was real because he did it for six weeks in a row. Uh, but, you know, when would have been the ideal time to buy in on that, right? One week, two weeks, three weeks. And I mean, in hindsight, zero weeks, right? In hindsight, we should have just been buying the shit out of him when he was getting four fantasy points per game. So how can we make sure that we're getting in early on something like this, especially for a rookie, when our sample is changing minute by minute, game by game, input by input, where we're trying to get ahead of the market and also not being overreactive? Yeah, so when you're looking at these rookies here, where, like you said, you know, you can have a wide range of outcomes for how they look in the NFL. And we have very little information in the NFL and we're really just going off of their prospect profile. We do still look at their prospect profile throughout their rookie season, how they profile, but then you sort of lose some of that. And I don't mind. And this is something I've been doing more this year than last year. And that's being quicker to abandon priors. Uh, Mm -hmm. For example, 
last year a player like Jalen Waddle, who was a top 18 wide receiver about halfway through the season and finished inside the top 15 in points per game. But as a prospect, you know, we didn't love him. Uh, I was certainly too harsh on him for a sixth overall pick, but um, there's definitely a world where you could see him going the route of like a John Ross. It's possible for any rookie wide receiver to not explode out of the gate like that. And so when you have a player that is producing like that, you know, you got to be quicker to adjust to what you're seeing in the NFL, but you also need to stay rooted in what you saw before and sort of think like Bayesianly, if that's a word. And, yeah. uh, you know, the most recent inf- information is the most predictive when you're having uh, a wildly changing sample like this, but uh, it's, it's important to not throw all caution to the wind after a mass spike week or something. Yeah. I mean, here, here's the way I would try to look at it. Right. You know, if this wasn't a rookie, if this is a player that we had like a four year sample on, it yeah. would be like, oh, that's just an obvious spike week, right? It's just random shit happens all the time. Yeah. Joe Mixon um, does the five touchdown thing. You don't really. Right. No one you're not projecting him for five touchdowns the next week. We always knew that there was like a world where Joe Mixon gets all these touches. And if he gets mm-hmm. a few more green zone touches than usual and he converts them all, like then that's the kind of thing that happens, right? That's yeah. people are just hitting. I mean, a lot of times, right? What people perceive as some sort of linear sequencing, right? Is actually just people hitting a certain range of their outcomes a couple times in a row when they had hit the opposite end of the range of outcomes a couple times in a row they weren't actually getting better they weren't actually getting worse i do think with rookies it's a little bit different you know and with walker but i what i would say is this his routes were on the rise right he we actually got new information about him i think we hadn't really seen him in a complete trail script before uh we did in this game where they were clearly well behind and his route participation went up. They didn't go to Travis Homer repeatedly to play in this trail script. They went with Walker and they threw to Walker and he was successful on his targets. That is meaningful. That being said, he has ran a lot of routes this season. He hasn't run that many routes in a game before, but over the whole sample of the season, he's still been running plenty of routes. And like we said before, his yards per run was really low. Now, when you look at it, he's still up under 0.8 yards per route run. That placed him 46 out of 60 that's still not a great profile. When you combine that in with his college profile, where he was not a pass catcher on the routes that he was running, that's not a great profile. And so to me, that speaks that it's more likely that it is a random spike. In terms of like getting in on it early, right? To me, it's a matter of what's to be gained and what's to be lost, right? Kenneth Walker already has people talking about him as the dynasty RB1 overall. So there's nothing really to get in early on, right? So it's... if people are already happy to assume the best for Kenneth Walker. People look at him catching all these passes and it's like, Oh my gosh, we just added something new to the profile. This is who he is. Funny enough. Right. He has, he had like literally the worst rushing performance of the entire year, not just his, but like by next gen stats, rush yards over expectation, no player this entire season with 10 carries in a single game has had a less efficient rushing yard performance than Kenneth Walker. He had 10 carries for 17 yards. He was negative 3.61 rush yards over expectation per attempt. That's the worst score of anyone all season. No one is going to change their priors now and be like, oh, Kenneth Walker's actually bad at running, right? No one's going to do that because we had a long sample that said he's very good at running. And when you fold this into his sample, right? Not substituting it. We just fold this into everything else. It still is like, oh yeah, it looks like a guy who's pretty good at running who had a bad game, um, right? And, and that's how I would view him. I, I'm not punishing for this. So I think that that's important. I think what's even more important and what's even more clear cut 
is looking at someone like a Gabe Davis, like a perfect example where he came into the season and like you could vary it depending on your your idea, but everybody like could somewhat at least agree that the most likely outcome for Gabriel Davis was that he was going to run a ton of routes. He was going to earn somewhere in the realm of like, I don't know, let's even expand it out wide. Let's say between like 14 to 20% of the target, something. Maybe people would have been probably closer to the middle of that. Not going to be a high volume target earner. That his raw number of targets was going to be a lot for his target share because the Bills throw a lot. And that he was going to get high value targets. He was going to see work down the field. He was going to see work in the red zone and the Bills throw more downfield and throw more in the red zone than most teams. And so with that assumption, like we kind of knew that Gabriel Davis, wherever in his range of outcomes, he was going to end up, whether he was going to be at the high end or the low end overall, that week to week, he was going to be extremely volatile, right? He was going to be a guy that was probably going to hit the low end of his range of outcomes. And that low end sucked. And then his high end was really fucking cool. And, you know, depending on how high or low you were on him personally, that range shifts. But what's been fascinating is seeing him basically be like the median outcome of what people expected him to be. And then we just alternate weeks, whether it was was whether he's good or bad, right? It's like, oh my God, he's scoring points, get owned nerves. And then it's like, he's not getting any targets. Like this guy sucks. And it's like, it just goes back and forth. Like he's been, he's been a fine pick, not been a great pick. He's not been a bad pick. Uh, But we just keep trying to infer some sort of linear sequencing. And the funny thing is, like, we can laugh about this now because it has rotated back and forth throughout the season. But would we actually think differently about Gabriel Davis if instead it wasn't ping-ponging back and forth, right? Like, what if he just started out of the gates with, like, four straight really hot games and then he went ice cold? Or the reverse, he started ice cold for the first half of the season, then he went red hot. Would we think he's getting better? Would we think he's getting worse, right? We probably would. You know, it's like Anthony Miko put out this uh, tweet about, you know, is getting five heads in a row or five tails in a row, like actually any more of a random outcome than heads, tails, heads, tails, heads, or tails, heads, tails, heads, tails, right? It's like, it looks more random. <laughs> if you were to just write down, like if you were scripting a movie and you were to flip a coin five times, you would probably script it with some heads and some tails mixed in. So it looks like you'd expect it to look, but that's actually not any more random. Right. And I think people fall victim to this. I, you're, I don't know if you think about it, other clear examples or, or ways to explain it. Oh, uh, no, you explained it well. This was kind of your thing. So I'm just kind of letting you cook here. But absolutely. Uh, Gabriel Davis is someone that is, uh, it's, a, it's sort of like if he had done. His name is Martin Gabriel Davis. Martin Gabriel Davis. Yes, absolutely. If he, if he had been, uh, had a massive spike at the beginning of the season, and then cooled off, like, Mike Williams at the beginning of last year, people would react differently. And then if he had hmm. increased, people would also react differently because people are very reactionary when it comes to players, especially ones that are so hotly, hotly debated. Like Kenneth Walker, he everyone's talking about the debate. Will he catch passes? He did in college, but maybe it doesn't matter. I've seen him catch a pass. I, I saw it with my eyes, my own eyes. I used them to watch film and I saw wow. it. Wow. And then people look at this sample and they're like, okay, I really like this guy as a player and he rushes well. Uh, and then I saw him catch all these passes in this one game. And so throughout the college profile, it doesn't matter anymore. I saw him do it. And people get ahead of their skis sometimes when they're really aggressive about a player. And so with a mm-hmm. player like Walker, it is something where, you know, he's already the dynasty RB1. He's already a top 12 pick in Superflex startups per keep trade cut. 
uh something where you know i would just keep telling people to sell i guess i don't know i feel like it's such a buzzkill but <laughs> i know it is a buzzkill like I, I mean i think ultimately like beside the point of walker i think the main thing that i would say and it's universal for any player any league is just like try to think about sequencing patterns like if you had seen these things in reverse would you feel fundamentally different should you feel fundamentally different has there been things that have fundamentally changed about the player based on their usage or based on the performance that's actually shifted you or are you just seeing a player hit their high end range of outcomes after their low end and would you feel differently if they're hitting their low end after their high end and ultimately like try and think through that i think when making deals you will end up being on the you, you will end up eating less of the risk and get and buying more of the ceiling if you're always making deals on from from that frame of mind. I want to talk about something else. I'll pitch to you first. Tight end, not okay. a fun. I had time. one other point for the oh, for go for thing. it. Yeah, sorry. And just by no, you're all right. By and large, I would just oh, like only look at the averages for the most part when you're evaluating players. Don't try to identify trends because there's a lot of variance week to week. You know, like we see for a lot hmm. of players, for example our good friend Gabriel Davis. And so if you're trying to identify trends, a lot of the time you're just going to be making the human error of trying to make patterns where they don't exist. And the only time that I would be really looking uh, and trying to make patterns over a couple of weeks is if there's like a fundamental shift in, for example, the amount of routes that a player is running. And that's something that's a lot more concrete because that is something where if a player goes from, 10 to 20 routes right. per game up to 30 to 40 routes per game. That's something where, okay, yeah, it's a spike up. But if and, a player... You know what? I, I Sorry, I should make that point just on Walker. I didn't mean to cut you off, but um, like, right. I think that's the difference too, right? Walker mm -hmm. did run more routes this week. We did yeah. learn something about his role that we didn't know before in terms of whether he played on trail script. So mm -hmm. what I would say is we should move him up, right? We should project him a little bit better because now we learned positive information about his routes. That being said, what we should not project is that he's used like this on all of his routes moving forward, right? We should yeah. essentially just project for him to run more routes now. That's fair. Um, mm -hmm. Or at least increase his route ceiling because we know he plays in trail script. And then we should apply something that's closer to his season-long sample. Maybe slightly above it to slightly award the most recent, but a lot closer to his season-long sample than his most recent sample in terms of how he's going to be deployed on those routes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so I was saying before. Oh, yeah, but yeah, if, if a player is just like one week they have five targets, and then one week they have ten, and then five, like a playoff. I thought my head like Devonta Smith has been pretty volatile week to week with his mm -hmm. targets. Um, it's not something where it's like you know he gets better and worse game to game. It's just some games he's some games the variance goes his way some games are fe he's featured and some games he's not but on average he still has a good target share and a good offense and so he produces well same thing with gabriel davis the targets are relatively stable game to game is his role is all right but he just hits massive massive variance based on the way that he earns his targets down the field sometimes converts them into really big plays sometimes he doesn't it's not anything to identify a pattern from it's just something to kind of roll with the punches and see how does this look season long? It's very funny, actually. On the season, and this is, I'll, I'll remain a centrism, a centrist just for you. <laughs> um, but it's just me stating facts that on the season, he has eight expected points per game and 13.6 points per game. So I'm that, remaining a centrist. The, the, nerd, the nerds are out to get him, man. The nerds are out to get him. The, I'm, nerds, will I'm not, the nerds are not allowing Gabriel Davis to to be to be 
victory lap. The, the, the deep state of expected points is not on the side of Gabriel Davis. That's, right. that's, He's that's actually just ahead of Isaiah McKenzie in expected points per game, oh. which is very funny. Got some real points, nerds. <laughs> All right, let's talk about this tight end situation. Uh, mm-hmm. This will be a very short segment, uh, so you're welcome, Matt. Uh, <laughs> Dynasty tight end, I mean, everywhere tight end, has taken a hit. Uh, we had Darren Waller mm-hmm. placed on injured reserve last week. We then had Dallas Goddard to miss significant time. So you'd think minimum two weeks, probably more like four weeks. Uh, And then you also have uh, Zach Ertz out for the season. Gerald Everett is going to be day-to-day, week-to-week, et cetera, uh, with a groin injury. There are not a lot of tight ends to start. Like there, It's pretty reasonable to think that you're in a position where you just lost your starting tight end. You might have even lost your backup tight end, or maybe he was already injured, or maybe he's just useless, and maybe he's on by, whatever the case may be. And there's like legitimate honesty contenders who don't have tight ends. Uh, I already have my thoughts on sort of what you would do, but how, how would you approach this if you're a dynasty, like a reasonable contender, uh, and you are are you're looking at a tight end in like the Kylan Granson, Tyler Conklin, like industrial complex. Like you're not even at like the Hayden Hurst uh, tier of tight end. Like you're just up a creek right now. Yeah, no, it is very gross right now. Um, if you are up a creek without a paddle right now, I yeah, guess what, trying to do? what I guess I would be trying to do is try to aim towards, it's going to sound really gross. And maybe I'm going to regret it after I say it, but I would maybe try to aim towards a guy like Tyler Higby. Yeah, I don't mind that. <laughs> and then the hate crime. Other guys. Yeah, hate crime Higby. Um, Evan Ingram. Uh, yeah. Hayden Hurst is relatively cheap. So what, so what are you paying? What are you paying for these guys? Uh, nothing more than like a late second or like a equivalent view or like a third. I don't know. Okay. This, here's my thoughts. They are on very it, all right? replaceable. Here, here, here's my thoughts on it. I think okay. you go order of operations. First step, yeah. you go big, okay? Yes. See if you Always. can get Kelsey, Andrews, uh, or Pitts. Just see if that's possible. Maybe it's not possible. Just try. Just like go to yes. that manager. Always. I mean, first of all, like here, here's the thing. Ideally, go to the – uh, there's probably impossible, but on like the 1% chance that somehow Kelsey is not on a contending roster, then just like obviously try and trade for Travis Kelsey. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you should have done that a month ago, you idiot. Uh, if Mark Andrews is on, you know, realistically almost any kind of roster, um, would still have interest in retaining Mark Andrews services. See if you can just overpay for Mark Andrews. Like just see if you can send like out a ton uh, of stuff for Mark Andrews and go get him. And then Kyle Pitts is almost the inverse. Like, honestly, contenders might be more willing to sacrifice him. And this is one where you can get creative. Let's say you're, like, pretty studded up at other positions. Like, just shed points at, like, running back wide receiver to go get Kyle Pitts. And then use, like, your picks or whatever else to, like, buy back cheaper alternatives at running back wide receiver. Because it's probably a lot easier to buy a usable running back or wide receiver off of some shitty team in your league than it is a tight end. Like, it's just the way it goes. Way more options at running back and wide receiver than tight end. If that fails, 
then I would go fun, right? So if you if you kind of wash out like the go big, the elites, then I'd try to go fun. I would try to get Njoku or I would try to get Dulcich. Or if you're like already locked into playoffs, then I would potentially try to get Dallas Goddard from the team who might need his points or might need points more right now and just lost him. If those two things fail, mm-hmm. I would try to get the best tight end you can possibly get with a, with a third. Or if you can do like a late second equivalent, right? You can give like a player that you don't really need that's worth a late second. Go do that. I'm not it's, moving a two for a fill-in tight end. I just refuse no. to do that. It goes against my religion. Um, if you fail at all these other accounts, then where you're basically like you just can't get even like the cheapest possible tight end that you can get for a third or later, then go to your waiver wire. Lawrence Cager uh, took over as the giant starting tight end from Tanner Hudson until Daniel Bellinger returns. You can go at him off your waiver wire. I guarantee you he's not owned. Uh, and then the two Eagles guys, Jack Stoll and Grant Calcitrera, I also are unlikely to be owned. Go add their asses. Uh, and uh, and Kylan Granson, if he's somehow not owned, uh, he had a really nice uh, role this last week. It seems like he's separating a little bit from Mo Ali Cox as the receiving tight end there in Indianapolis, uh, and Jelani Woods been out. So that's that that's that's my my order of operations for tight ends. Uh, okay. Do you have disagreements with that order of operations or supplements? Um, I don't disagree with any of them. Um, are you? I, are you avoiding right now buying George Kittle? I mean, I'm open to it. I'm open to it. I'm my issue with Kittle because is like he's been he's such a great player. Career. Yes, he's not particularly yeah. young. He doesn't mm-hmm. project yes. to score a particularly high amount of points, and For he's also not particularly year, cheap. <laughs> right. So, like, it's hard to talk me into buying a expensive old player who doesn't score points i try to try to not mm-hmm. do that uh if you can get him for like under a first like let's say there's a manager who's just tilted beyond belief then sure because like i would just yeah. always be willing to like gamble on the pedigree of a player like that for under a first but i think by mm-hmm. days of shelling out round one picks for george kill concluded yeah i agree with that um and then he'll have 40 else? next week just watch but then the week after he'll have two okay so oh <laughs> yes the gabe davis thing that's the George he's the gabe davis thing, of tight ends yeah. yeah he is <laughs> i remember i was looking toward i was looking back through old seasons and i'm like i wonder who has the highest yards per hour run since 2010 and there he was it was george kittle we're tied with julio jones and cooper cup what happened how do we get here he's still really good it's just that yeah. they I mean, I think the Christian McCaffrey trade was so bad for Debo and Kittle, right? I mean, this is a team where they were, like, kind of similar to the Eagles. Like, they never throw to Miles Sanders. They don't really play Kenny Gainwell. They don't Mm -hmm. really throw to any fourth options. So so even though it's volatile week to week, on the whole, A.J. Brown, Goddard, and Smith can all hit. Even if they don't all hit together, they can, like, hit on aggregate because the offense is really good, and they only throw to those three players. Like, they don't involve anybody else in the offense. Uh, so the touchdown always goes to one of them if they throw it, like almost all the yards go to them. And San Francisco was kind of like that, where they didn't really throw to running backs. They like threw to Jawan Jennings more than humanity ever needed, but um, we could live with it. 
but mostly it was all going to IU kill or Debo. And so it's like week to week, they're very volatile. You didn't really like each, any of them were at risk of just totally goosing you on a given week, but on aggregate, they were all like kind of providing production with McCaffrey. It's all ruined now. Like now they actually do throw to running backs. It, it seems as though those targets are not coming from IU. Like, I wondered if no. they would sort of shift roles around to put they operate Debo in different into that. Of the field. Right. That was what I was wondering. I was like, because the way the offense was functioning, it was like Ayuk was sort of the real quote unquote real wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And Debo and Kittle were operating more in short and intermediate areas. So it's like McCaffrey's going to take their targets unless they shift it around. Unless they're like, no, we want to keep Debo and Kittle involved. So we're going to scheme them more opportunities downfield. And then we're going to reduce Ayuk. doesn't seem like it's doing that. It seems like Ayuk's doing his thing uninterrupted. McCaffrey is interrupting yes. the shit out of Debo and Kittle. Uh, yeah, not great. And we were just simply a year too early on Brendan Ayuk. I mean, where are we though? Like, this is the thing with Ayuk. It's like, he's good. Sure. Yeah. And he's like, his value, but it's like, what's, what's, what's his wins over replacement going to be? Okay. You're spending too much time with Cooper. Enjoy I mean, it. Have fun. I just could not give less of a Relish fuck about it. Brandon Ayuk. Could not give a fuck. Because right. what, what's he doing? He's a wide receiver three. Who cares? I know he's a good is, player, but it's fun. We can victory lap it a little bit. It's all right. Yeah. He's outscoring Debo Samuel, and for that, I'm very happy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bummer because now both of them are useless. And Kittle's yeah. useless. They're all useless. I know. And, and I do like, have except for Elijah there. Mitchell. Of course, that's what we need. We need 18 carries to Elijah Mitchell. Kyle Shanahan. Ugh. All right, that was a tangent. 18 Sorry, touches, man. zero high-value touches for Elijah Mitchell. Exactly what we need from this offense. Yeah, it's a trap. All right. Uh, let's talk about the other big piece of news from this week. Probably mm-hmm. the biggest piece of news from this week. Yeah. Um, have you ever heard the phrase, you can't pour from an empty cup? Yes. Yeah. You, can't, you can't score with an empty cup, that's <laughs> for sure. Uh, if if you had Cooper Cup, uh, you know, it sucks <laughs> for sure. Your day is just significantly worse. You like looked, you looked outside and you once saw joy, and now you only see darkness. Uh, I'll, I'll just pitch it to you. What what are what are your general thoughts on what the hell you do if you had Cooper Cup, and you know you were very reliant on him? Uh, what what are you kind of looking at? Yeah, so Cooper Cup last year had, and it depends on how many players you start every single week, etc. But in most leagues where you have like multiple flexes and stuff, he had three wins above replacement. Um, and so what you're looking at in like half a season from him is about one and a half wins above replacement. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a team that's sitting at like seven and three right now or something like that, like exactly what my team is uh, in one of the leagues I have with you, I co-manage it with Ian yeah. uh, seven and three. It's kind of fraudy without uh, Cooper cup. Oh, so what after- league is this? Is this, the, is this Gabe fourth Davis and go? Stands. Oh, is it Gabe Davis stands? As, yeah, the second this is over, hmm. I'm going to go put everyone hmm. on the block. Oh, yeah. interesting. <laughs> interesting. I might I have know. some offers for you. Awesome. That's great. Because later we're going to talk about how Lees are too lazy sometimes. Well, look at this. But... We're going we're gonna to talk later about Dynasty deadline sells and buys. Absolutely. And we're going to just we're gonna do a trade right on the air. That's what we'll do. Awesome. Yeah, but what we'll I was saying... Do it. Ian gets no input. Ian gets no input. We're just going to do the trick. <laughs> what well, I was saying with Cup you. is that if your team's like that right now, without Cooper Cup, your team is more of a team that's around 500, 600 instead of yeah. 73, 8, and 2. Um, and so you're not, you're looking at, okay, maybe I was contending for a buy. You're probably 
uh, it's harder to contend for a buy now, especially depending on whoever else is in your league. And if they, there are other stacked rosters, like I know in that league, I'm, I'm third and probably not going to end up top two. Um, and so, yes, it is very rough and it is something where this wipes out a cornerstone of my team for the rest of the season. I'm assuming if he's back week 16, I'm out of the playoffs and who gives a fuck. Right. You got to at least make it there. Who knows? And, exactly. and he might just come back and not be any good. Right. It's going to have high. Right. Strength. And so what I was saying and something that you said before, and I took this from you. So thank you is sometimes you find out that you're one of the 11 losing teams in week 17. Sometimes you find out in week 10 and that's okay. And it's perfectly mm. acceptable to just start punting right now. And at least it happened before the deadline. If you are one of the heathens that has deadlines in your leagues. Wow. You see, you're out here quoting me. You're ruining, you're ruining my chances for sound bites by like just preemptively stealing my quotes when I invite Absolutely. you to guests on this podcast. Yeah, how dare you? I know. How dare I you? Know. That was right, that's exactly. a banger of a line, and I and and I it was taken from me. Um, Matt, this is at this point. Please unlock the trap door that Akash is sitting on top of, and just right through the floor. It's over for him. Awesome, uh, our shortest episode yet, and it's all yeah. thanks to me. You're welcome, yeah. Matt. Uh, no, so I think that, that with Cup, okay, so I'm going to kind of transition this a little bit into what I want to talk about, which was I did a mm-hmm. thread in the Bulletproof Patron. Uh, I, I showed this to my other co-host, Tom Tipple. He said that it was not a thread. It was a mission brief. That um, <laughs> it was too long to be considered a thread. Uh, I'll take that under advisement, Corporal. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'll transition this a little bit. To me, it's like so different. It's so context dependent. Mm-hmm. For reference, I have Cooper Cup in five leagues. I play in 50 leagues, so I'm like slightly over market on Cooper Cup. I'm basically at market on Cooper Cup. Number one thing that's important to remember, I would assume that in like 90% of circumstances, every team that rosters Cooper Cup at this point, a 29-year-old wide receiver, top five wide receiver, is probably at least a contender of some degree, right? Like you're probably mm-hmm. either like one of the best teams in the league or you're at least in playoff contention. One thing that I think everybody should note, yeah, if you have like 30% exposure to Cooper Cup, I'm sorry. Like like fortune did not fortune did not favor you this week. But if you're in the position that I am where it's like you have cop and that kills some teams, it's important to remember that like in all the other leagues that you're in, where you're a favorite or you're a contender and you don't have cop, probably one of the other three or four best teams in the league just lost Cooper Cup. Right. Mm-hmm. So like there's some aggregate of increased win equity in all these other leagues that will make up for the leagues where you lost in. If that helps you sleep at night, right? People have a tendency, I think, to only look at it as though, like, I was going to win 30 leagues this year, and now I can only win 26. It's like, well, you weren't going to, right? Like, you had, like, your win equity bounced out. It got a little bit higher in a lot of leagues, and it got a lot lower in some leagues, right? That's that's yeah. the first thing I just wanted to say is, like, a mental health note. Uh, that's what I repeated I've, uh... to myself. One out of fifteen dynasty, I have Cooper Cup. So oh, that 6%. must be nice. You're you're you are like dancing on his grave right now. I guess. I guess I don't know. I never hated Cooper Cup. I just uh, I don't know. I like this the sexy young roster sometimes. So yeah. All right. So basically, so my position based essentially, I have two teams with Cup that are like mm-hmm. total nails, like nineteen and one. Um, like I could be out there starting a cosh wide receiver three and the buy is probably still secured. So for that league, like for those leagues, the answer is pretty simple. Like I'm going to hold Cooper cup um, for now. I'm going to just kind of let 
I'm probably going to do nothing for the next couple of weeks because the trade deadline is not imminent. I'm just going to see what happens. And essentially my only options are either I'm going to hold and do literally nothing uh, or I'm going to make a buy in his stead. And I'm potentially I'll use Cooper cup in that buy or I'll just use other picks or other players or whatever else, you know, it's helpful to get the deal done. Uh, but at this point we ain't tanking. <laughs> like we're already the number one seed. There's nothing to be gained from tanking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's just a matter of like, do I think I can win the championship without him or do we want to try and bring in some other stuff? I would say in this situation, the only thing I would avoid is like, don't do a half measure, right? Like don't go out and like spend capital on like some like borderline, whatever wide receiver to try and make up the difference between cup. It ultimately doesn't really matter. If your team is that good that you're like that, you know, you're just like crushing the league with cup. You know, what did you say he was providing last year? 1.5 wins above replacement, right? Like Three. if Three, 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 yeah, three and it's one point five in the half season he just played. So okay, one point five in the half season he just played, right? Yes. So, so if you're at like nine and one, yeah, right, still eight and two, you're still like essentially seven a seven and a half and two and a half win team without Cooper Cup on it, which means you still have yeah. like legitimate championship odds, right? So if you're that good, like you That's actually pretty can much how survive. Good. That's how good my team was in that league with Cooper Cup, right? So you actually can survive this. Um, another way to. Th- Right. So like going and adding like a 0.2 win equity, it's like, it's not going to make you feel any better. Like you're not actually getting that much of a difference. If you're going to go make a buy, make a real ass buy, right? Like go get a legitimate high end elite veteran producer or spend up to go get like a young producer, whatever. It depends on what's available in your league, but like either make a legit compensatory buy or just let it ride in my opinion. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Right. Like Michael, Michael Pittman, or Devonta Smith, or like Brandon Cooks, or like whatever. A wide receiver three will not be leading you out of the wilderness. Uh, Tyler Boyd is not here to save your your team at this point in time. Uh, other reality, right? I'm in this in three of the other teams where it's like probably a playoff team, but like, was I for sure going to make the playoffs? Not for sure. Am I a real threat to win when I don't have a buy and I have to win three playoff games, potentially all without Cooper Cup? not really it's like at this point in time i think it kind of depends and this is where i'm going to kind of transition really depends on the context of your team if you're a team that has all your picks already if you have your first and you're in this position where you're like a borderline playoff team with cooper cup to, to me the answer is clear sell all your depreciating assets immediately reboot probably not your year right this is where you just found out that you didn't win the championship in week 10 and it's time to reboot if you don't have any of your picks whatever then i think it becomes a little bit more complex i think you have to be really honest what are your chances to win the championship as it stands without cooper cup and then like what what kind of benefit could you gain from selling all your depreciatings when you're actually not deriving any benefit from making your team worse inherently, right? You're just potentially staving off value atrophy by selling off depreciating assets that you have. So like, how many do you have? Can you even sell them all? What kind of price can you get off of them in your league versus how much would it hurt you long-term to buy into it and, you know, continue to push, right? Or if you like, can't make a very cheap buy, that's going to actually help your team. Can't, actually sell all your appreciating so you just like kind of let it ride and just hope to get really lucky like it's a tough spot to be in 
but I think you have to just kind of wager all those three things together. How, how are how would you be looking at it in that scenario where like you had a contender with cop, you don't have your one. I mean, I'm in this spot in the league, mm-hmm. uh, but you also have a bunch of depreciating. It's like, what would, how would you kind of try to operate it? Um, yeah, it really depends. I would try to do something where um, you do target, like, like you said, making a splash buy. That's always viable. You can, uh, you know, you can try to convert points at other positions. And then, like you said, if you are rolling out, uh, what's the full name? I was going to say his full name for dramatic effect, but just like if you're rolling out like Nick Chubb or Austin Eckler or something like that. Right. And if you can, con- if you want to convert that into like Devonta Adams and a spare running back who gives you like startable weeks, then that's an option that you have. Hmm. Um, there's also other players like right now, uh, Tyreek and Diggs are a lot more expensive than Devontae yeah. Adams. And so the first guy that I'd be looking at is Devontae Adams. But the other two guys are options, even though they are like 20 picks higher in startups. Like a, you're looking at like a late three versus a mid two, and that's big. So Devontae Adams is someone that I'm definitely looking at. And like, like you said earlier, I'm not going to be tossing a third at Adam Thielen. That just feels like a waste. Um, but there's also definitely something where, uh, and this also depends on what kind of league I'm in. I've noticed some of my leagues, it is harder to do a fire sale just because people like, you just put everyone on the block and everyone was like, right. okay, whatever. I don't care. I'm in like five other leagues and I'm busy and I have a life, so I don't care. And that's annoying, but there's really nothing you could do about that. And so sometimes you do have to let it rise. Sometimes you can try to force it. And that's what I want. What like we're talking about later is, you know, how do you navigate situations like that? Yeah. I mean, so I, I'll use an example. I have a league. It's probably the league where I'm in like the worst shape of all my cop leagues. It was a league where like I had a contender last year. Um, we wound up like profiting or whatever, but we didn't win the league. We won like year points in third place, whatever else. Uh, and then this year, you know, it's taken some hits, like just literally in value, right? We have Russell Wilson was supposed to be our QB one. He is ass. Uh, Darren Waller supposed to be our tight end one. He has done nothing and he's currently hurt. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, I have JT and CMC. CMC has been great. JT has been super mid. Obviously it was phenomenal last game. I expect him to be really good rest of the season, but uh, that doesn't give me the wins back that I was expecting from the last 10 weeks. Uh, And then cup, you know, and it's like, these are kind of the guys we're carrying. The rest of the guys are mostly supporting actors and supporting actresses, right? Not, not carrying the show. So also a spot where I don't have my first in 2023. I have multiple firsts in 2024. Really the goal was compete hard this year, sell whatever we can off next year, essentially, punt and when we have back our own first and extra first in, in in the following year now we're at the spot where it's like well like can i realistically win this thing with basically like jt cmc and a bunch of jabronis probably not at this point right um and what else are we going to do i'm trying to look at it as strategically as i can right the way i look at it is like first of all jt and cmc do have the kind of ceilings where like in a given week, it is possible that they can like outright just like win me a week against any opponent. So yes. the lights like at least flickering on just a little, little, little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Theoretically, Waller will be back by the playoffs, but I'm still in decent enough shape to actually make the playoffs. I'm basically dead to rights in terms of getting a buy. Um, is it possible that we win a game in week 15 in the playoffs just based off of JT and CMC and variance? 
you know, it was like a 40% chance to win. And then we get CMC or we get cut back and Waller back week 16. We're rolling. It's possible. It's not likely. It's possible. In general, like I'm trying to sell off if it can be advantageous, but I'm being careful about the order of operations. One thing I don't want to do is like first thing I put everybody in the block. I'm like, yeah, I'm selling CMC. We're selling JT. We're selling whatever else. First of all, I want to create urgency. I put in the league at all selling CMC plus JT to first acceptable offer by end of a week. Um, Mm -hmm. Right. Everybody else on team available as needed. Okay. I want to drum up interest. Immediately I have people talking to me now. Um, Because now like, it's not just a matter of like, do I want this for my team? It's like somebody's going to get these guys. Right. So it's like, am I, am I willing to let my opponents get better at my expense? Um, Whatever. If I don't get a good enough offer, I won't. Do you set an expectation for what kind of offer you're looking for? Do you say like, I'm selling CMC. I'm looking for the equivalent of two first rounders. So I I do with lower tier assets. So usually what I try to do in leagues where I'm tearing down is usually there's like a, usually there's like a hinge point player Mm -hmm. that is like the guy where it's like, it's the point of no return. Right. Yeah. So it's like, if I sell this guy, then I'm committed to selling everybody. Yeah. Right. And usually I don't label the return for there because I have in my view, like a minimum return that I would accept for JT or CMC. Yeah. But I don't want that. Like if I just state that outright, that's all I'm going to get. In my perfect yes. world, there's multiple people that want these guys. I get a bidding war, and I end up getting over what my asking price would be, right? Yeah. And like when I'm t- when we're talking about these types of players, like if you're selling Tyler Lockett, there's not going to be a bidding war. People don't care enough, right? It's mm. like so you just say put him on block three or whatever. But like if you're like, hey man, if you don't up your offer, I'm going to send Tyler Lockett to somebody else. I'd be like, okay, <laughs> it's Tyler Lockett, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right? Like yes. so, but with JT and CMC, like. You, you might get where people is like desperate to get one of these guys on their teams, right? Mm-hmm. So for there, I don't. Basically, if I'm able to sell both those guys, then I would literally just like shopping list. I'd be like, Cortland Sutton, give me this. Uh, Michael yeah. Pittman, give me this. Jacoby Myers, give me this. James Robinson, give me this. Zeke, give me this, whatever. All the way down the list. Um, I refuse to believe you still roster Zeke in Dynasty. Oh, I've been buying Zeke this year. I Look, I will always, I will always dump and pump. I'll always dump and pump. Um, Mussolini. Yeah, so basically that's that's where I'm at with a lot of these guys. This particular spot, what I've made clear is like, I think leverage matters in trade negotiations. For as long as JT is on my roster and CMC is on my roster, both, mm-hmm. I can at least have holding as an option, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's at least a possible option. Once, once one of them is off my roster... At that point, contending this year is no longer like a lever that I have in trade negotiations, realistically. Yeah. Once JT is on my roster, CMC is like Chris Ballard. Like that is like the, the guy that everybody's looking at. It's like, man, like your G, your coach got fired. Uh, they run in just Saturday. You're going to get fired next. Like we all know you, you don't have any authority here, right? Like if I sell JT, it's like CMC has no place on this team. And at that point, the only chance that I have of selling him for a good deal is A, someone just being an idiot and, and buying for way too much, or B, getting multiple people to bid against each other, right? Yeah. Otherwise, like, I hold none of the cards in that scenario. I sell CMC first. Holding JT is not the end of the world. Like He's still going to be super valuable in the offseason, so it's, it's not that big of a deal, right? Um, so to okay. me, the big thing is like I want to sell CMC first. 
Okay. I'm, not, I'm not selling JT first. If I can't sell CMC, if I don't already have an offer on CMC, nobody goes. Uh, if we're able to sell CMC, then everybody goes. But at least then I feel better about the return I'm going to be able to get because I think that like I can actually have leverage to say like, like if you don't give me two firsts for Jonathan Taylor, I'm just going to keep them because that's going to be about what his offseason value is anyways. That's kind of yeah. where I'm at with it. Um, I don't know. How would you handle that kind of situation? That's interesting. I never thought about the... Uh if I like selling one of the other guys first, but I don't know. I'm, I'm the kind of guy where if I get an offer, I like it a good value. I just sort of take it and maybe it's a function of the leagues. I don't know how to create the urgency like you do, but just some of these leagues, man, they're, they're very annoying. Like I, I had this yeah. one league where I had like Watson, uh, like I drafted him before the suspension hit and I was mm. like, okay, depending on how long it is, maybe we can push the chips in this year. I'm like Michael Thomas, if he's coming back and he's a wide receiver one, then also helps me push the chips in. Trey Lance hits his ceiling, et cetera. All these things. Saquon Barkley worked out. Um, but so, so many things have just gone wrong. And so mm-hmm. I put the players that I have on the block and I start lower tier guys. I list out what I want. I'm like, yeah, I would uh, like Michael Thomas, future second. Uh, right. James Robinson, second etc and no one no one came knocking i had to go knocking other people's door that to be like james james connor i send out offers to every single person for like multiple future seconds and finally got like one deal done where luke sent me tony pollard for james connor and i don't know like it's just i know yeah it's good deal but like it's just something where i just have to consistently go knocking no one comes knocking to me they're just like Oh yeah. No, I, I agree with that for sure. And like, normally I am I'm totally on board with like, once you're committed to a seller, take the first accessible offer that you have. I think yeah. the only exception is on these massive pieces where there's a high variance, right? It's like, think, mm-hmm. think about like, in terms of the variance of like, if you think about it in percentages, right? Let's yeah. say that, let's say that uh, the market price for Miles Sanders is a mid second. I don't really know mm-hmm. what the market price is, but that's probably right. somewhat reasonable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I saw like, someone pay a 23 first and Mooney for him the other day. Well, that that dude needs professional help, <laughs> right? They, he said it was a late first. I don't know. Miles Sanders okay. going to move some needles for him. Yeah, so don't don't do that. This look. This is we're now officially transitioning into it now. But okay. this is the this is now the deadline selling uh, section slash tutorial slash conversation etc. I'll say this. I don't know. We're probably going to do this next week with Drew. I'm not sure where we're going to talk about deadline buying. First rule of deadline buying will will ultimately be I don't sell a 23 first for Miles Sanders, uh, whatever you do. Or Allen Robinson. Yeah, or Allen Robinson. But but if you are going to do that with Allen Robinson, make sure to add Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, who right. is actually scoring more than worth more this year. Scoring more, younger, <laughs> and worth more. Yeah. Uh, we love that callback. Absolutely. Oh. Hilarious deal. Okay. So in this scenario, right, talking about Miles Sanders, we're going to say he's worth a mid-two, he's worth an early-two, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Let's say he's worth a mid-two, okay? 10% above market, you're probably getting like an early-two. 10% mm-hmm. below market, you're probably getting like a late-two. It's like the the actual delta in like getting a little better or a little worse in market value is, is ultimately pretty nominal versus if we're talking about a player worth like two firsts, right? If we're talking about a Taylor or a CMC or a Diggs or a Eckler or whatever else, like these top guys, the Delta in like a good sell and a bad sell is massive. I mean, and massive, even in leagues that I'm in, like in terms of like sales that I've done, right? Some mm-hmm. leagues, 
it's like I some leagues I put a dude on the block and all of a sudden offers are fucking streaming in and I'm in yeah. a spot where it's like I'm gonna take actually just the best one. Like I had this experience with Barkley in a league uh recently where I put Barkley on the block and I was like, I'm moving it this week. Um mm-hmm. hit me up. And I was going back and forth with three people, each of whom had sent me offers that in theory I would have accepted. And I was like deciding which one I wanted most and like trying to add a little like bit a more. Kid right? on Christmas. I was like, this is incredible. Right. Jeez, like now I'm probably nice. getting about a second more in value that it actually take. Right. Like yeah. a full second more versus remember Miles Sanders, the difference between a second more than you'd actually take on Barkley is just like having Miles Sanders or literally dropping him. Right. Yeah. So it's like the idea is a different scale. Other leagues, it's like I've seen some crazy deals go down in leagues where, like the the leagues where people aren't on Twitter, they just throw caution to the wind. Oh, like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, it's like I'm in. Yeah, fuck it, I'm trading three first for Stefan Diggs. Let's go. And it's like, what the? What right. are you doing? Like, you have no uh, no idea about market value. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, who cares about market value? Every it's league's gonna be elite next year, bro. Exactly. Every league's its own market. I'm trying to win. It's like, oh, come on. This one league. I played, this was like one of my first ever dynasty leagues. Uh, I think it was one QB, but it was uh, just some guys that were in a discord for some YouTubers, mm. for some YouTuber who uh, was big and they're all pretty fantasy close. Counselor? No, it's fantasy couch. But this one guy who I actually still talk to uh, these days and we call on a team, but nice. he's just like, okay, um, I'm, I want to win. I have a bunch of future picks. Uh, time to trade five first for Tyree Kill. Oh, what the boy. fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, yeah, and he's good. And this was like one, like, was it one year ago or two years ago? Either way, it's still absolutely ludicrous. Uh, but like, you know, I'm in a league with people on Twitter and it's like, okay, mm. I'm putting Saquon Barkley on the block. Nothing. Okay, I hope he doesn't get hurt. Like, I've been trying all week. Nothing happens. Hope he doesn't get hurt. Next week, I'll try again, I guess. <laughs> and then finally, I get a deal done where it's, uh saquon barkley in the second for olave and a 23 first i'm like finally jesus get these points that's off great awesome. i know that's great, great deal i'm just, I, I mean look that's i don't even know why you're complaining about that one. that's phenomenal. it was a good deal it was a few weeks ago um, it was before people realized just how right. good he was but, but yes it was after still, the one where he had like 300 air yards and i'm like right this guy must be pretty good 27 I mean, like 26 percent target share on a 14 a dot i like it i love it still though massive differences where like yes for, for for example, what's another one? Um, oh, right. There was one league, all the people that were on Twitter, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, honestly, I, I might even actually regret this. This is an example where actually I think that I should have been more prudent with my initial sale. Where mm-hmm. basically um I lost uh I, I had a team where so it's a weird system for this league where the top four seeds are done by record, right? right. With buys, of course, the top two. Five mm-hmm. and six are just done by points. So I had a I had a weird team where it's still actually at this point sixth in points and it was at that time as well. So like on the precipice of the playoffs, despite that, my record is like two and eight. Like it's just one of those hilarious leagues where it's like I'm I actually have one of the top half of teams, but like I just lose every week. So basically a buy was like mathematically impossible by like week seven. Playoffs was was not impossible, but it was also pretty variable and like unpredictable in the sense that like it could either be like the sixth seed or the 101. 
Well, it's done by max points four, so that wasn't gonna happen. But okay, but mind. it was unpredictable in the sense that like I couldn't even look ahead to the matchups and be like, if this guy wins, this guy wins, whatever. Because there's also a possibility it's like, oh, if this dude who's like ninth in points ends up finishing fourth in the standings, that pushes two people out, right, that are ahead of me in points, and it's like this weird concoction of trying to figure everything out. Okay. So I'm like, you know what? This is gonna be hell on earth to try and like actually try to project whether or not I'm gonna make the playoffs. Regardless, mm -hmm. I can't make the buy so my odds of actually winning this thing are pretty low yeah and i'm looking at my team i'm like man we got 99 problems because we have lamar jackson qb1 that's lovely qb2 is a, a mishmash like i have matt ryan and Jameis winston coming into the year and like i was like well i'll probably have like i'll have, I'll have at least one for the rest of the season you know I'll, i can platoon them and then hopefully one of them looks like a starter come 2023 you know then <laughs> uh flash forward I have no starters uh, for the rest of this year, and I probably don't have any starters next year. I was able to get Taylor Heineke in this league off waivers, so like I have, I look fine for the rest of the season. But I mean, my 2023 QB two is shrug emoji. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, this cannot stand, right? Um, like we got to try and figure something out. Eventually, I also have Jamar Chase this league. And basically, the day that he went um, out, I was like, well. This is the sign from God, right? This is like, I'm not, it's not happening this year. I'm yeah. probably not going to make the playoffs. Even if I do make the playoffs, I'm probably not going to win. I was like, you know what? I think, I think that the odds of me actually making playoffs and succeeding in the playoffs from a quarterfinal are less than what I'll lose in taking my pick out of the range to get Bryce or Stroud, right? Mm -hmm. I would be better off just getting all these things off my roster, getting Bryce yeah. or Stroud, and then I don't have to worry about quarterback. So, I end up moving Adams and like, it's hard to get rid of players in this league. Like it was really difficult. I ended up moving Adams to a team that is like pretty all in um, for, and, and I think like is really low value. So mm -hmm. uh, I ended up getting a 24 one and a 23 two. I expect the 24 one to be in the top, uh, top three or four and the 23 two to be kind of mid. Uh, the problem with that was I was fine with the deal problem with that was I end up kind of stuck where now I'm stuck with Derrick Henry still on my team. And I'm like, I can't sell this dude. Uh, yeah. I mean, he was averaging like 20 points a game. People were like, yeah, I, I would rather die than have this 20 points on my team. I was like, all right, what's wrong with you people? I end up having to take a deal that I was like pretty mad on. Like mm -hmm. I get like a 25-1 and DJ Moore for Henry and Amari Cooper. Where I'm like, eh, it's fine. I don't really mind it. 25-1 will probably be early. I don't think that guy's a very good team, but whatever. It's mid. Yeah. Anyhow, so the problem is I don't want to box myself in. Funny thing about that league, which is kind of irrelevant, but maybe a little bit relevant in terms of like exercising patience. I end up moving Jamar Chase and Jahan Dotson for Justin Fields in the 23-1. Had I been able to do this three weeks earlier, I would not have made any of these sells because now I have my quarterbacks and I'm fine. <laughs> and, and I'd probably rather have Henry and Adams back, at least to wait and see, um, you know, and, and wait it out. But I think why I tried to move earlier there is I really wanted to ensure that my pick would get lower. So that brings me to the main thing I want to talk about, which was the categorizations of deadline sellers. Um, and I wrote this thread in the patron discord about the types of different sellers that there might be uh, the types of different assets you might be looking to sell and trying to develop like a general heuristic or formula that can kind of answer the question of, should I sell X? What should I sell X for without having to be pestered by trade questions all the time? Uh, so maybe before I get into it or whatever, uh, because I've been talking already for a ton, what are your, like your general thoughts yep. on 
what types of teams you're looking to sell players on, what types of players you're looking to sell the most, and how you go about doing it. And then I'll kind of get into my stuff afterwards. And I'm going to also grab wine while you start talking. So feel free to to really vamp for, for as long as you wish so that I can make sure that I'm replying to something that I've actually heard uh, when I come back. I'll be back in like two seconds. Okay, so what I'm looking at first is I'm looking at uh, the record, obviously, and seeing, okay, am, am I a top two team? Am I looking to get a buy? And then from there, I'm looking at my points for, my max points for, everything. I can hear Jacob pouring the wine. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for, uh, do I think that this team can continue being a top two team? If it is, if it's just outside, can I push for a buy? And the buy is really the important thing because the win you're looking at winning a championship, you're basically looking at three coin flips in a row. And when you have three coin flips in a row, that's 12.5% chance. And then mm. if you are if you can reduce that to two coin flips by getting the bye week, that's massive. You, you just doubled your chances to get into a, to win the championship. And so that's the first thing I look at. Then I'm looking at players. I'm, I start making player takes based on uh, one, like, you know, obviously I've been, I've, I've been hit with injuries. Then obviously the players aren't scoring me points for the next few weeks or maybe the rest of the season. Sometimes players I, I look at and, okay, this guy's been massively overperforming what I what his expectations are. This guy's been underperforming. I expect it to be better in this regard. And then if I'm really feeling like a team is uh, like on the, like barely in the playoffs, then it's something where I'm okay with pushing the eject button a little bit early just because my like I, I don't feel confident in my chances. And so if you're in the playoffs and you have the 12.5% chance, if you're the fifth or sixth seed, that chances are probably lower because you're probably not as good as the top four teams. Right. And you're probably looking closer to like a 10% chance or something like that. Uh, and that's not that much higher than your base chance to win a league when you enter it where you have an 8.3% chance in a 12-team league. And so you're, you're looking at your team and say, okay, am I in a good position here to capitalize on variance? Or am I going to be looking on the, am I on the outside looking in for real contenders? And then from there, I'm, I'm always more like leaning towards playing for value just because I'm a, I don't know. I just love having value on my team. I'm, I'm a big, uh, big fan of like a sexy roster which is sometimes to my detriment but it also just feels nice to have a sexy roster and so if i can get a deal that i'm very happy with at market value then i'll take it and i'll mm. figure out other things later but i think the most important part is identifying when you are a fraud and not being afraid to say okay i'm pretty fraudulent and this might be the time to abandon ship before I find out in week 15, 16, like not even making it to week 17 to find out you get eliminated first round. Uh, you go up against an absolute buzzsaw who has some real difference makers and you're rolling out like Curtis Samuel and Rondell Moore every week. That's something that um, you can identify before you actually get there. And so, right. yeah. I mean, look, have you seen, uh, you, have you seen Game of Thrones? No, I haven't. Okay, so for the rest of the civilized humanity <laughs> that is listening to this, uh, have you ever seen the Battle of the Bastards episode in Game of Thrones? Like, 
you want to be a Sansa and not a John. John goes into that and he's like, we got the dudes we got and we just need to fight and we need to fight now because we don't have any other choice. I want to, we just got to go. And he like launches into battle. He's for sure going to get killed. uh, And they're for sure going to lose the war. Except that what John does not know is that Sansa actually has already secured a bunch of additional soldiers, the Knights of the Vale, and they're going to come in. They're the reinforcements, okay? If you're not one of the teams with a buy, right, or, or one of the teams that realistically is like, I could probably get a buy, or at least it's like in the, or like, I'm a little bit unlucky right now that I don't have a buy, yeah. you know, that type of situation. If you're one of those teams hovering around the five, six, seven, whatever, you better be looking around at your IR and seeing reinforcements, Right, if you're going to be staying in, you better have the Knights of the Vale on the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I have one team that's like in the seven seed right now that I'm not selling because it's just gotten like rat fucked. Like my my starting wide receivers at the start of this year were AJ Brown, uh, T Higgins, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen, uh, Calvin Ridley, Wandell Robinson, Traylon Burks, Kadarius Tony. So like, Ridley was obviously never going to contribute this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Thomas will not contribute at all going forward. Um, but like Tony Burks, Keenan Allen, Almond Ra, and Higgins have like all just continually ruined my life by either being out or in Almond Ra and T. Higgins' case, like in two separate games, just like leaving in the first quarter with an injury. <laughs> like, yeah. like, right. So I'm looking at that and like, okay, the guys that have been in my lineup. Have just gotten really unlucky. They're actually going to score more points. There's a bunch of guys who haven't been in my lineup that now potentially enter my lineup. Like this team will probably actually get better and, and has a realistic chance when I get in. That's a different situation. For the most yeah. part, if you're looking at your team, as I've done with several of my teams that have, you know, even a potentially a better than 50% chance of getting the playoffs, rule of thumb, if you are not absolutely certain that your team will make playoffs, it's very unlikely that it's good enough to actually win the championship outside of a very lucky scenario. And you should actually be selling and you should be taking advantage of probably in that scenario, having just better assets to sell than the guys who are willing to sell in the 10, 11, 12 chairs that probably don't have anyone good. That's why they're in the 10th, 11th, 12th place. You should be taking advantage of the opportunity to be the team with a Barkley, to be the team with a McCaffrey as your five, six seed, where you have the shiny new toy that can actually get everybody bidding. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I think if I was to like put it into a formula in terms of deciding whether or not to sell, I would look at, what are your championship odds? I mean, estimate them. You're not going to get them exactly. And then what is the expected value atrophy of your roster going to next year? And by value atrophy, essentially what I mean is what is the projected loss in market value that your team will take just from the year accruing, right? Players that either have some value now that will have no value after the expiry of the season, players that have a lot of value now and probably still will have a lot of value after the season, but are going to lose a little bit just because they lose an expected year remaining. And if you're going to lose a higher percentage of your value through just natural atrophy than the odds that you actually have of winning, that's when I think you need to be in sell territory, right? That's where I would be. That would be like my general rule of thumb. It's not like a binding rule that you can never break, but that'd be my general rule of thumb. If I'm looking at a team full of, prime age guys like a cop or a Diggs or a hill or an eckler or a club or or i'm looking at a team with like clearly depreciating guys that are about to turn into dust like a fournette or a connor or patterson maybe you're relying on guys like 
Heineke or Daniel Jones or Goff as one of your two quarterbacks, and you have no idea if they're even still going to be in the league next year. Like that's where it's like, okay, uh, you're putting your team at significant risk holding all these guys into the off season. If you're going to do that, you better at least have a really great chance to win, right? Like I have some teams that have a bunch of dust balls that are like the one seed or the two seed. Is it a guaranteed win? No, of course not. But I think it's a it's a worthwhile risk mm-hmm. because you actually have a really decent chance to win the league. Um, that would be my general rule of thumb. Yeah. When you're trying to, and this is a little bit of a different question, but you're in 50 leagues. How do you? How much time do you spend trying to make trades or evaluating where you stand? Yeah. So I have a so I have a spreadsheet uh, as as I think you know. Nerd where I basically, I have all of my teams tier. So I have teams tiered to the following. Uh, I have them tiered as either dynasty, which means that essentially I think that they're like on autopilot. They will always be at least uh, in contention to win, barring making catastrophic moves. And they can withstand a year-to-year value atrophy on the roster because I either have enough picks or the whole team's young or whatever else. Where I think generally for the next for the foreseeable future they're always going to remain in contention unless I do something to actively harm them. Um, those are obviously my best teams. I don't have that many that, that I would reach that threshold. Next would be favorite, which are teams that are either assured of a buy or a buy is likely, and I would put myself at least even odds against any other team in a playoff matchup. Even odds are better. Uh, next up would be contender, where you know. Uh, maybe a buy is possible, maybe it isn't. Playoffs are at least very likely, and I would give myself at least a realistic chance, you know, say 40% and up against any potential uh, matchup in a playoffs, where I would not be a surprise to see myself win any matchup. Uh, and then I would then next would be TBD, which essentially is uh, usually I don't have teams that are low value in TBD because I'll get to those other tiers. Essentially, it's a team with like at least average or above average value that just like might not be a realistic contender in the given year, but has enough value where it's worth riding out essentially to find out more information about the status of your team. Next here would be teardown where essentially either it's fine enough value, but it's just no longer going to be able to make the playoffs or it's a team that has value atrophy to such a degree that it would be dangerous to let this team still compete. Like it just needs to sell off its appreciating assets. So it's able to recover its value then lastly, I have the two teams that would be tanking and reboot. Tanking is like, we've gotten rid of all of our players and maybe it's high value, maybe it's low value, but we need to make significant moves to even compete next year. Reboot is like, we basically just got rid of all the depreciators, but otherwise the team is pretty much ready to rock next season. Um, I basically go through every week. I update my wins and losses in each of these leagues. I inspect the roster. I keep track of what picks I have in each of these. And then I try to just honestly evaluate like, whether to keep it in the current tier that it's in or whether it needs to move down or up a tier. Um, And basically anytime that I change a team's tier, then I try to make the necessary moves that would accomplish that. I usually do that every Tuesday where I go through, I'm like, okay, let's be honest about these teams evaluations. For instance, like two teams that lost cup, I moved from contender tier to tear down tier. It's like, this is where, you know, we're going to actually now have to sell depreciating assets. And then those are the leagues that I'm going to focus on this week. That's why I try to keep honest of it so that I don't sort of just let like wishful thinking 
or neglect sort of guide my teams where I actually mm-hmm. have to confront each team every week and look at it honestly and be like, no, this team actually sucks, dude. Like you need to make some changes or like this team is good, but the dream died. I lost too many games. You know, it's time to sell off, whatever. That's generally mm-hmm. how I try to do it. Um, and then, you know, we go into actually making the trades. Yeah, that's interesting. So when you're making trades, how do you make trades quickly? Yeah. So, you know, it depends differently on every league. Usually what I try to do is like, if I'm going to sell a major piece, like mm. we talked about with, uh, you know, the JT or the CMC, yeah. I want to maximize the value of that. So I'm taking the in-person approach. Step one, what I usually do is I try to set urgency. Um, mm. I don't want people to be like, oh, I can make that deal whenever I want. So I will always like at everybody in the chat and I'll say like, this player or these players will be sold by end of week to the first acceptable offer. Um, and like, then that usually is like, okay, that gets some sort of urgency. I'll wait and see on the response for a little bit. See if people come to me naturally. If they don't, then I'll start reaching out to like any team that I think could use them. So basically any team that's contending, particular, any team that has the types of assets that I want to get in return and any team, uh, that has like a particular need at that position, ideally. And they'll say like, Hey, what are your thoughts on this? Whatever, you know, we'll try and talk it back and forth and try to get the best deal that I can. And, you know, if ultimately I don't get an acceptable deal, then whatever, I won't sell by that self-imposed deadline. But usually I try to, once I'm able to sell off those hinge points, like the, the people that like put me into it, then I'll kind of put on autopilot. I'll literally just go through sleeper. I'll change everyone's nickname in the app to like the minimum return I would accept. And then I'll just be like at, you know, send offers, whatever. I'll give it a few days. If not, I'll just go about and I'll actually send those offers out. Mm-hmm. What I'll try to do usually when I'm in the process of sending out offers is like, I'll usually send two. I'll send one that's like the base offer of like, I would accept a second for this player. I'll send it out for a second. Um, then I try to look at their team. You know, is there a specific type of fit that I think would make sense if I like substitute out that base offer for some other type of offer? And then do they also have a player that I'm just generally targeting a lot? And like, can I build an offer around that type of player to make it a little bit extra special, right? Uh, I try to tailor mm-hmm. around their team. If there's people that I know in the league that I have like a good relationship with um, that I've made a lot of trades with before, I'll usually text them first and just be like, hey, I'm about to put all these guys in the block. Do you have any interest in any of them before I open it up, right? It makes them feel, you know, like special or whatever and also potentially saves you time. Um, that's usually like what I'll what kind of the process I go about. How about you? So what I do is when I'm deciding to make trades in a league, uh, I do something similar where I'll put guys on the block and uh, for the lower tier guys, I lay out what I would accept for them in picks or I say, you know, this, like this year, like this round. Uh, but like, of course I'm flexible. If you have players that are worth similar, mm-hmm. then I'll work with that. And then sometimes I send out offers where I'm actually getting those picks. I send them out to everyone. Sometimes they don't have those picks. So I try to be flexible with what I'm getting. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get like structures of similar type of players where instead of getting an ascending 23 first, I'm targeting an ascending rookie, like a, like Mm -hmm. a Garrett Wilson or something like that. And after that uh, it's something where, Sometimes I'm look I'm just like purely looking to buy guys and those are the ones where it's a little bit tougher because you know you're saying like okay I want to buy like just in general uh, I'm a big like you know it's like one week I'm like Amon Ra did this uh, he got hurt and then he came back he had nine targets and only caught like five of them for forty yards and so he's fallen a little bit in 
perception. I want to go buy him, mm. send out offers in some of my leagues where it makes sense, where uh, I have a younger team, and then I'll be like, okay, where, where does it make sense to pivot off of uh, another player? But in general, I do think that I'm sometimes a little bit passive in trades and neglecting leagues. I'm not as organized as you. And it's something I'm still trying to figure out because I uh, have 15 dynasty leagues right now. Last year I had six. Hmm. And so it is something that I'm still learning how to scale. I mean, I think for sure, like when I, this is the first year I've ever been this focused on it. And -hmm. I think it has made a big difference. Like I remember last year for sure, there were teams that were just like not really doing well. And so I just kind of like paid less attention to them. And I was like, well, I put guys in the trade block and like, I don't, I'm not going to get offers. So whatever. And this year, like I'm trying to be like, forcing myself to look at an all caps tier that says tear down is like, okay, no, I actually just send these offers. Right. Like finally this week, uh, I have no, I have zero teams in the teardown tier. Uh, unfortunately Cooper cups injury that put two teams back into the teardown tier, which like massively triggered me. I've now gotten one of those back into reboots. So I have one left. Uh, but it's, it's deeply depressing. That being said, like, it forces me to actually get those things over the line. It, it yeah. sort of self-motivates. It forces me to be self-critical. Um, That's we've talked about the mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry? So sometimes when I'm just like faced with the, the obstacle and the, the time that it takes to, to do something, like you, you just, like you say, you know, you, you, when you're not organized, you just freeze up. You're like, well, you know, I don't like this team and I, I don't like where I'm at, but maybe it like, maybe it'll just, it'll just get better or, like it'll be all right, and sometimes yeah, it gets rough. Like the, the our Mickey Mouse League team hmm. that I have is one of my least favorite teams because the only team where I don't have my twenty three first, uh, like pretty much like out of all my leagues, and I don't have my twenty four first. I traded them away for Justin Fields in a second, and then I moved Fields and then ancillary pieces for Lawrence. And then I moved mm. Lawrence and ancillary pieces for Russell Wilson. And so I've oh, no. massively fucked. I have Darren Waller on IR. I have Keenan <laughs> Allen. Travis Kelsey, CMC are my difference makers, really carrying my team. Dak Prescott. What's your record in that league? Because I'm also in this league. Yeah, you are in that league. It my is. My vulture wings are just starting to struggle. I am off the top of my head. I'm not sure, but I think I'm like a fifth or sixth seed when I entered the league. Like, as like, I should have been like a top one or like top i'm not gonna say one because alex has just there's some insanely old running backs like alex i alex caruso shout out alex caruso who i beat this week he was nine and one he's now nine and two yes um and then i I think i would have been like after him or maybe in third and now i'm in fifth or sixth and it's just been truly awful i thought it would go better than this at least rolled out when i said earlier rolling out rondale Moore and curtis samuel that was a bit of that, that was a bit of the inside have, uh, turmoil coming out where I am rolling out those guys every week. I have like Deontay Johnson. <laughs> it is just a mess. I have a league. I mean, uh, this is such a tangent, but I have a team in that league that would be so fucking sick if it wasn't a dumb Twitter league. So, okay, actually, I'll put it the other ways. This being <laughs> like a Twitter, and this is not just like a regular Twitter league. This is like a, a league that's almost entirely people on Twitter who think generally like I do for the most part. I know. Terms, I, it's like right? harder to find so it's an like, edge. So it's, it's like basically everybody kind of like thinks pretty similarly, yeah. which has both blessed me and pained me. So for instance, like in the rookie draft, I drafted Kenneth Walker and Damian Pierce because mm-hmm. 
nobody wanted them. Um, and so I got both of them like significantly past ADP, which is awesome. Like obviously Mm -hmm. massive hits. Like I got Ken Walker at the one Oh five actually traded up for him. People made fun of me so much that I traded up to get Ken Walker at the one Oh five. Um, I got Damian Pierce, like, I don't know, probably like the two Oh eight or something. Mm -hmm. Um, anyhow, that's, that's awesome. The problem is I have like the all time anti Adaiko team in this league where I thought that Matthew Stafford was going to be a QB one. He is not. Um, so I'm I'm looking at uh, a mix of Stafford, Cousins, uh, Mariota, and Matt Ryan at quarterback. So it's like this just ultimate like tier of mid at quarterback. My tight ends uh, are Gerald Everett, and I don't even know who else, but it's like very mid at quarterback and tight end. My running backs, wide receivers, loaded i guess i have we were talking kenneth walker we're talking josh jacobs we're talking damian pierce uh we have um uh pollard i've been playing there's like one other dude i think i, do I have eckler in this league i might have i can't remember i, have like, I feel like eckler's the type of guy that caruso would have uh i'm gonna pull up this team i'm, I'm pulling pull up the teams team. yes right. you have you have jefferson godwin right so okay, Amon, run, Ron, running back Giggs. wise i have I have Walker, Jacobs, uh, Walker, Jacobs, Pierce, Pollard, who's been like sick, um, and then Singletary. Whatever. I have Dobbins on IR, and then yeah, Kirk and the wide receivers. I have uh, Jefferson, Godwin, Amon-Ra, Diggs, uh, whoever else. Point being, I'm literally like I sat Damian Pierce two weeks this year. <laughs> That's how loaded this fucking team is. Damian Pierce, who you know supposedly you should be you should be sending Jonathan Taylor and Justin Fields for in redraft. He has been <laughs> sitting on my bench for the last two weeks because I've been starting Pollard uh, over him, and I can't I can't upgrade tight end or quarterback to save my life. Point being, you should pump this team. You should trade me Travis Kelsey. We should figure out a deal. I mean, uh, I might just do it. I don't know. Anyhow, so this, this first, is an incredibly but... tilting. That's a total tangent. Uh, I'm sixth right now. I have no use. Uh, anyhow, my team is good. It's in third place, and we're, we're one game back of a bye, so there's a chance. Um, I'm anyhow. one game back from one game back from a bye. One game back of one game back. Danny, Danny and Cam just completely – just just completely change the dynamics of the league because when they're there and they're tanking, they're competing for Bijan. It's basically a 10 teamer right. where everyone else is stacked. And I, here I am with Darren Waller, Deontay Johnson, James Connor, Russell Wilson over here being rat fucked by variance. But all right. Oh, that well. was a massive tangent, but honestly, it is honestly tangent. fun to like kind of hear what's going on in actual leagues. So we're gonna talk yes. about that. I want to talk about um I want to talk about the the thread that I did. I want to outline it, mm-hmm. right? So we sort of been touching on all these different teams, right? All these different teams that we're in that we have that we're looking at. Oh my gosh, should we sell? How should we sell? Etc. Yes. Right? We've each bought up teams where we don't have our 23 first or several other teams. Uh, like in the case of the other league that I was talking about where I was selling Henry and Adams, where I did have my 23 first. I was super motivated to get my 23 first lower. That's why I was selling so early, right? Mm-hmm. Versus these other spots. So I tried to think of this set of heuristics, right, for people to look at. And essentially what I started out was, was like, okay, one of the different reasons for making a trade, I'll bypass this because it's not as important. Essentially what I got was one of them is you want to sell players to get points off of your team, right? You want to convert near-term value to long-term value, okay? What are the types of sellers that would be looking to do this type of thing? And essentially I found three types, right? I've thought about conceptually. Now, Kosh, you feel free when I'm done this tirade to like, Yes. completely 
disregard any of these underlying assumptions um, okay. that I've made in this. So feel free. I thought broadly speaking, right? And we're like kind of ignoring a lot of the context here. Broadly mm -hmm. speaking, I think there's like three types of sellers. You have your persuadable sellers. These are teams that I think generally fall into two categories. Number one, it's like a team like yours in Mickey Mouse League or mine in the little league I was talking about where I have JT and CMC. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're not like dead to rights. You can still make the playoffs. They're the players that you have still have theoretical use to you. But your team hasn't really gone as planned. So you're you're at least open to offers, right? Like if you were if you were first place and I was like, so you want to trade me Travis Kelsey? You'd be like, no, fuck off. But you're in sixth place. You're like, well, maybe. I might do it. <laughs> but you're also not like get Travis Kelsey off my team immediately, right? You're yeah. kind of in that spot. The other option for this, probably less common, but like you have just such a ridiculously stacked team that there's just people on your bench who can't even get into your lineup. And you're like, I actually would like to just catch these guys out for picks. Cause like these guys are just value is going to expire. Like I had like one team like that, which was by far my best team where I'm just like, like when acres like stopped coming to practice and James Connor was hurt. I was like, it's really cool that I have Daryl Henderson and Eno Benjamin right now, but I can't get them into my lineup. So like I need to get these guys off my team, either use them to upgrade or, or, or convert them to picks. Um, that's the persuadable sellers. Then there's the agnostic sellers. This is where like you've pretty clearly determined like this is not the year for you, but you don't have your first. So there's no value inherently in getting points off of your lineup other than the long-term benefit of the trade, right? But there's no additional motivations to do it and do it now. It's like, am I getting better long-term than what I'm giving? That's how you can evaluate the trade. And then lastly yeah. is the motivated sellers, right? This is where you are in a spot where you do have your first and there's something you can do about your draft position. And not only are you motivated to get rid of depreciating assets because you're not competing, but you are at, those players are actively hurting you, right? Especially a player who's not going to be worth anything a year from now. Like if you have Cordell Patterson, for instance, or Deontay Foreman, for instance, on the team, it's like, these guys are like killing you. They're, they're, they're actively harmful. They might be literally <laughs> worth nothing next year. And they're actively preventing you from getting a higher draft pick this year. So mm -hmm. like, in a sense, you'd be better off just dropping them. So like, you need to get these guys off of your team. Obviously, how people play and how they perceive things that are different than Akash and I might perceive themselves differently along this axis. But in general, I think there's these three types of sellers. Um, then I'm looking at like the types of assets. And you know, in the in the thread, if people are patrons and if people want to become patrons, they can read this full thread. Um, you know, there's all these sorts of different types. What I really tried to focus in on was two types that you might be potentially selling, which are either depreciating assets or core assets. Depreciating. I think it's important. People, when they hear depreciating assets, they think of the Patterson and the Foreman. I mean, I think this has to apply to prime assets too. This has to apply to the Tyreek yeah. Hill, Stefan. Absolutely. And people say this all the time. We had this conversation on the Full Tilt Show Live where I was mm -hmm. mentioning Stefan Diggs as a depreciating asset. And people say, but he's still going to be good for three more years. Well, first yeah. of all, you don't actually know. But the second we leave point, yeah, the second we leave point scoring season, he's going to drop from 18 on keep trade cut to like 25th to 30th. Right. This is an important distinction. Depreciating asset does not mean mm -hmm. players who are actively getting worse and decaying, yeah. right? This doesn't mean this is like the Viserys Targaryen of your team where it's like every day you look and he has like, he looks more and more like a, a leprosy science experiment than he did the day before. It's, it's is this player going to be worth more in the off season, worth the same, 
are worth less. And in the case of Stefan Diggs, it's definitely worth less, right? Like he's already in the best environment you can have. He has the 101 overall in Dynasty throwing him footballs. He's not getting any younger. He doesn't really have any good wide receivers around him. <laughs> like he is in the nut situation that he will ever be in. And it's awesome. He's scoring a ton of points. I don't mean this to speak ill of him. He's super valuable. He's still depreciating, right? When we look yeah. at a guy like Stefan Diggs, how we value him is tied to, okay, how many years of this elite production are we looking at? One of them is right now. In fact, the only one that we can be absolutely certain of is right now. If people ever want to say that guys like Stefan Diggs aren't depreciating, then you should trade for, for Cooper Cup the exact same that you would have traded for him a week ago. Because he's still going to be great next year. Probably he will be still great next year, right? He might even still be great when he comes back in week 16. I don't know for sure. But mm -hmm. obviously, a big part of Cooper Cup's perceived market value was the rest he's of the right season, now. the yeah. next four weeks, getting mm -hmm. you into the playoffs, winning you games in the playoffs. That's probably off the table now. So he's clearly worth less, right? Yeah. That component, whatever percentage of his expected value in years remaining, that's no longer there. So all these types of guys have to be viewed as depreciating assets. In general, the way I would define it is a player who, barring positive situational change or, or unprojectable overperformance, is going to be worth less later than he is today, right? An example yes. to the op to counter this, because there's exceptions to every rule, I would have probably, like DeAndre Hopkins is just doing a lot better than we thought he was going to do. So he's mm -hmm. worth more now than he was the day that he came back. If a player yeah. overperforms, then they can raise their status even when they're old, right? But for the most part, if the projection stays, they're eventually going to have a little bit less value. And then yes. the other as core assets, right? And what I would think of as a core asset is a player where we're pretty sure of what they are. What they are is pretty good. They're not in any immediate risk of losing a bunch of value. They might move back a little bit just because another year tolls, we bring in new rookies, etc. But their value is fairly stable, barring underperformance, injury, bad situations, etc. All the different risks that comes with holding any player but mostly their value is seen to be fairly stable. This would be like your AJ Brown or your DK Metcalf or your CD lamb, right? Are these guys still going to have a lot of value in the offseason? Yes. Is it going to be about the same as what they're worth now? Probably about the same. Uh, you know, these are the guys where I always say you should be trying to sell these guys when you're rebuilding, but it's not immediate. If you just, if you can't get an offer, that's what their macro market value, you probably want to hold. And essentially, I tried to like determine essentially a formula. We talked a lot about core assets. You can talk about that more if you want to. But I really tried to put up a kind of a formula for these appreciating assets. And it was spurred on by a trade that I made in a league that you are in. It's the breakout bowl. This yes. league is definitely the opposite of these other leagues we've talked about that we're in. And oh, my this God. League, that my league team is, is so fun. Right. In this league, my team is, is total ass. Um, like I took... Uh, I took Russell Wilson in the second round. He's totally useless. I took Kyle Pitts in the first round, who doesn't score points. I took DJ Moore. He doesn't score points. I like traded for an extra 23 first in the startup draft. Um, and obviously, I wasn't able to find those points to replace that anywhere. So my team's not scoring points. I'm not super worried about the team long term. Like took some hits on value on like Russ and stuff. But uh, I think ultimately, it will recover and we have the extra picks. But this team's obviously is not competing. I sold a couple of my depreciating players, but two that I was left with were James Conner and Cordero Patterson. Mm -hmm. And here. 
Uh, and specifically, this is another Twitter league in which people were really not excited about paying through the nose for a James Conner or a Cordero Patterson. Like, let me tell you, I've been <laughs> shopping these guys hard all well not patterson i was waiting until he came back from ir yeah. but i was shopping, I see you putting him on the blog week in and week out every single yeah. week right i was shopping the hell out of james <laughs> connor right and patterson i waited and then when he came back i was like we're shopping him again and he just had this awesome performance his first week back so i was like we're gonna sell these guys um specifically yes. i wanted to sell them fucking now because yeah. here's the crazy circumstance every week you don't it's just i was risk I was a cut well added risk for yeah. one, but also, as you very well know, um, oh, yes. weird you're racing to the bottom. Weird situation where I am 25 points. Well, I don't know what I am now, but uh, at the time I made this deal, which was a week ago, I was 25 points behind another team in max points four. The nice thing though is I'm like really confident that I can catch him because he traded his first in the startup to you. Oh, you're you're below now. God damn it! But you're lower yeah, so in record. Is it right. record or max points? It's got to be max PF. I hope it's record. I really want Bijan. The trade so. is absolutely amazing where this guy, and we right. laugh about it quite a lot. In the He made a very bad trade. He traded up for Trey Lance. He sent he a traded absurd amount of stuff to you. 23, to 23 first. You don't need to do this to him. 24 to to first. Fourth Matt rounder, Redactus. seventh rounder. Matt, this is bullying. Matt, for this is bullying. A, the 110 and an 11th rounder. And he picked right. Trey Lance over, over Justin, Justin Jefferson. Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Yeah, not a good, not a good move. Point being, look, we did, I was and his team's also for, just super well, top heavy. So I was not gonna, Herbert and JT. Okay. Matt, we're redacting this. We're redacting okay, this. We're not me, here to flame him for the trade. Okay. Point okay, being fine. is, point being is, I like look. I'm in some leagues. I'm in one league with my buddy Brian at Dynasty underscore Addicts on Twitter where both of us have our own 23 first and we were both locked in this race to the bottom where we were both trying to sell guys for market or even under. And it was a little scarier because it's like, if I knew this trade was going to get me Bijan, I would be willing to take under market value, Yeah, but there's nothing stopping Brian from selling guys just as hard as I am right to get Bijan. So it's like, I might just be taking under market value and it might make literally no difference. This case I'm pretty comfortable because he doesn't have his own first. So like, sure. He's going to sell some assets, whatever. He's way less motivated than I am to hard sell certain assets because all that would decide is whether you get Bijan or not. And I don't think that he cares very much about whether you get Bijan. I, I care very much Taylor from him. Yeah. I care very much about me getting Bijan. So I wanted to make sure that I got beneath him. Um, and like literally the difference between me being in position for Bijan now or having not been in position for Bijan was like if I had sold Connor before his 24 point week last week. So like it, it actually like mattered quite a bit. Yeah. Point being, I sold Connor and Patterson for a 23 second that is like very much on the precipice of the playoffs right now. He's currently the seventh seed. Uh, and a third. I can't remember if it's a 23 third or 24 third. 24. And people are like, oh my God, you sold really low. And it's like, yeah, according to the macro market, I probably did sell a little bit low. According to the micro market, I did not. Like, I promise you, I've talked to every single person in this league with a winning record or a 500 record about these players, unless mm -hmm. something substantially changed. With Honestly, maybe it did it with James Conner after the Eno cut. But I have other examples where, like, I traded Fournette a couple weeks low, and his projection obviously just got much worse. So it can go either way with guys like Conner or Fournette. And it usually goes negatively more often than positively when we're talking about 27-year-old dusty running backs. Yeah, and besides, uh, when you look back, your team is, you don't need those points at all. And so even if you take a hit in the immediate market value, a lot of that market value is banked 
in their rest of the season projection. And then when you look back in the trade in May, you're going to be like, okay, right. I'm very happy with this. That's the thing. The current market value at a certain point becomes irrelevant. When you first start shopping these players, you should be trying to shop them at or above the current macro market value. And when I say mm -hmm. macro market value, I mean like what players normally go for. And yeah. your proxy for that might be fantasy calc. It might be cheap, cheap cut. It might be whatever your favorite trade calculator it is. It might mm -hmm. be just like what you generally see in your 10 or 12 or 15 or one league. It might be what you talk about with your buddies and they say it's a good deal, it's a bad deal, etc. Whatever that is, that's like the macro market. Mm -hmm. You know what? For AJ Brown, that matters a lot because his macro market now is probably going to be about what his macro market is in the spring unless he gets injured or massively sucks. And mm -hmm. so selling him below macro market now, you're probably leaving value on the table. Mm -hmm. The macro market now of James Conner matters almost not at all because his macro market now will not be what his macro market will be in the spring. He will be worth less in the spring than he is worth now in the macro market. What yep. really matters is the micro market, which is essentially the best offer you can get in your league and your projection of that player's macro market come spring, right? The best offer that you're getting now, is that likely to be worth more than what you would be able to get selling James Conner or Cordero Patterson or whomever else in the off season? Yes or no. And then essentially the other considerations plus or minus is is there a possibility that that player could provide something of use to you for the rest of the season? Like you would be if you're the persuadable seller, right? In your case of Travis Kelsey, is taking that minor win over offseason market value worth losing the potential production of Travis Kelsey and the potential win equity that you have the rest of the season? Yeah. And then the other aspect is, will keeping the points actively harm you? Which in the case of Kelsey, it won't. You don't have your first round pick. In the case of Connor, it will. I do have my first round pick. And mm -hmm. so that sort of adjustment of what type of seller you are, what category of seller you are, essentially adjusts whether or not you should be willing to take the, like, the minimum mi micro market value, which is essentially whatever you can get for him in the offseason, or whether you should be pushing for something a little bit above that, something closer to his macro market value. You know, I went in way more detailed stuff in the article. If you see it, that was just a general baseline. How, how do you sort of like, do you think that there's use to like those general heuristics or like, how do you go about thinking like, what is my baseline of what I would accept in these like given leagues? Yeah. So what I'm looking at is very similar. I'm looking at my team and determining what my needs are, whether I want to get the points off my team, whether, um, if, if I'm a team where I don't have my 23 first in that one league and I'm and there's no sense in getting the points off my team immediately, but I am considering, you know, is it worth it to like push the chips in and Travis Kelsey loses a round of startup value as we enter the offseason? And so what I do then is I'm looking at the market value and looking, you know, obviously the trade calculators will say like, all right, this is what I should be able to get from the average person and then i shop it I, I just try to talk and communicate to the top managers in the league like you go to on sleeper you have your you have your leaderboard of what everyone's ranked rank is in the league and then one by one click on them hit message or hit the trade button and just start firing off offers obviously first thing i'm targeting is picks because they're the thing that right. everyone likes and things that are guaranteed to gain value and they're the easiest thing to sell off to if, whenever you want to. And they're the most fluid way to store your value in Dynasty. 
And then the the one that I'm, and, and when I'm in a league where people aren't necessarily making those moves towards me, I, I just get really aggressive trying to send trades mm. out. And I am a bit of a sometimes a stickler of getting deals done, uh, and it's it, it leads to less deals than I think that you do, where you say you trade on other people's terms, and that's that's very helpful for you in, in getting deals done in fifty different mm. leagues. Yeah, and so you know sometimes you do have to take a little bit less just to get the points off your roster. Sometimes you do have to take a little bit less uh, when you know that they're going to be worth less in the off season. But it it is something where if I'm in like if I'm in a league and no one's coming towards me, I don't know. It never feels good to sell lower. But obviously, if no one's paying up, then the macro market does not matter anymore at that point. Mm. You just take what you can get. And so, yeah, it is something where it, it really depends. But by and large, it's just a, a, a thing where you just got to go out there and you got to send the offers and, and be aggressive and try to get those deals done. And that's me also speaking to myself because that's something I sometimes need to work on. No, for sure. Uh, definitely something I think that that's definitely an interesting uh, conversation. We hit it from a bunch of angles. Yeah. I originally was going to like bring out some teams and stuff, but we've injected so many of our own teams into this um, throughout. Yeah. I think that we don't even need to. Um, any, anything else that you want to add before we we cut it off here? This this will be, I think, maybe the shortest episode of Sweating Bolts yet at an hour. Maybe. And 40 I don't know. Are we going to make a live trade on the air? Well, yeah. Let's talk it through. What which which league? Pick pick any of. We play in how many leagues together? Three. Three. Yeah, I think so. Breakout Bowl, Mickey Mouse League. No, four. We have F four Dynasty, and then um, Gabe Davis stands. All right. Will you pick? So Gabe Davis. Well, what's stands what's your status in these? I I am full. Gabe Davis stands just turned down and just turned into a teardown. Okay, well let's do that then. And so that, that's when you're stands. you're fourth. You could use the yeah, your one game back. All from right, a so Gabe, Gabe I currently Davis have stands. a buy, but it's pretty fraudulent. You have 150 more points for than me, and you have uh, less wins. Uh, yeah, Gabe Davis stands is by far the most tilting league that I'm in. Yes. I'm leading the entire league in points for pretty comfortably. Ironically, I'm in fourth place. Uh, in the league at six and four, uh, but second place is is you at seven and three. There's another team at seven and three, third that actually has even less points than you do. <laughs> the order of points for in this league is out of this world. So it's me. Yes. It's top. I'm in fourth place in record. Second in points for is Batlab, who's fifth in the standings. Third points for is is actual first place. So eventually, there's some level of justice there. Fourth in points for is the seventh place team, yep. followed by the eighth place team, followed <laughs> by the ninth that's... place team, followed by the second place team. That's me. Followed by the third place team, who is who is actually in ninth in points scored that is currently five for by very weird league. Uh, I'm expecting to uh, to shake up for for sure. All right, so let's talk right. about it here. You're considering. Uh, you're considering stopping being a fraud. Uh, Maybe. Who 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 are the potential? Right. So you're you're a persuadable seller. You're a persuadable seller in this scenario. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's run through the teams here, just so people have something to, to climb onto. My team has Justin Herbert. Um, let's go to the trade screen. Actually, this is usually the best way. Uh, it's the best way to see the teams. 
Okay. All right. So so my my team has a quarterback, uh, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, Daniel Jones, uh, Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis. Um, we have a running back, Saquon Barkley, Nicholas Chubb, uh, <laughs> yes. Michael Carter, and then like a bunch of pretty unplayable dudes. Uh, and then we have Justin Jefferson, Tyler Lockett, Jerry Judy, Juju Smith-Schuster, Michael Thomas, Kadarius Tony, Josh Palmer, solid wide receiver three of Keenan Allen or Michael Williams missed time, Nicole Hardman, KJ Hamler, Deami Brown, Pat Firemuth uh, at tight end with some other guys, Dawson Knox, whatever. Dawson Knox. His I Dawson have Knox players. no additional picks from other teams. I do have all of my own picks aside from my 2023 second. I would say uh, tight end, I mean, we get better. Firemuth and Knox, like a decent enough platoon. We could be better. Running back is strong. Quarterback is strong. Would would love uh, to add a wide receiver of use because Juju is out. Judy is hurt. Uh, yeah. Palmer has other people coming back. Michael Thomas is out. Basically, it's Jefferson and friends. The wide receiver <laughs> position right now. And his friends are few and far between. Run through your team here and, and where you're looking. Yeah, so I have at quarterback Lamar Jackson, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jacoby Brissett, and Mitch Trubisky, not starting. It doesn't matter. Uh, running back, Alvin Kamara, Antonio Gibson, Kareem Hunt, Daryl Henderson, Rashad White. Anyone else who matters? That's a lot of running backs. I have a team with more running backs than Jacob. Let's go. <laughs> actually, I think it might be tied. No, I have four more, actually. Yeah. Okay, so I, I'm better than you. Um, at wide receiver, I have Debo Samuel, Chris Godwin, Cooper Cup, Calvin Ridley, um, Donovan Peoples Jones, and Alec Pierce. At tight end, TJ Hawkinson and Darren Waller. And then for future picks, it's everything that's my own and nothing else and nothing less. So, right. yes, definitely very so flexible. Who, are the, who, are, the, who where... are the movables here? Who are the movables on this team? If you're, you know, if you're persuadable, who could you be persuaded into? The so Alvin Kamara and uh, Chris Godwin and Debo Samuel, as well as Hawkinson and Waller. If you like buying in your tight ends, he's better yeah, than John. Have, I guess. No, uh, I think I think I'd much rather have Pat Firemuth than the corpse of Darren Waller. So would I, but I'm trying to make a sale here. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm good on that front. Um, all right. Damn. TJ Blockinson, I mean, though. TJ Blockinson. Oh, yeah. TJ Blockinson. You could. Uh, you you're missing. It's not, TJ, it's not TJ Blockinson. It's TJ Blockinson. <laughs> TJ Slows a Rockinson. Yeah, that's it. TJ Hawkin mid. Um, yeah. As you would put it. All right. So I'll be people of interest. Uh, Alvin Kamara is, is of interest. I mean, ultimately. Mm-hmm. whatever wide receiver is the main uh main hole but i can put running backs in the flex that's allowed in in several states uh so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm definitely interested in camara as a short-term option uh god yep. interests me uh D- debo <laughs> not really not really vibing debo at the moment uh in terms of a guy who honestly like he looks to probably be scoring a lot less than his talent level which is a guy that I'm probably just not looking to buy on contenders where I feel like the point efficiency per per trade acquisition cost is just not very high at the moment. Uh, so probably probably looking at Mr. Godwin or Mr. Kamara. Yeah, reasonable. And so in moving 
one of these guys. Uh, obviously, I'm interested in your first rounder in 23. So well instead of that, what about Malik Willis? I have an idea. This least <laughs> or, studio or, button right or here. Or how about how about Desmond Mitter? <laughs> Leave studio button. <laughs> okay, real talk. And this is doing this 100% without Ian on the line. I mean, I can call him if we want to get another look, Real guest. talk. Th- things be awful things audio that I'd be willing to move. I mean, look, so real talk is, unfortunately, this is going to wind up getting redacted because the real talk is, is that, yes, I would move by 23 first in this league. No, I'm not moving it for Alvin Kamara or Chris Cotman. <laughs> okay. I mean, we can work with it, though. Um, which unfortunately means the only assets that I'd be willing to move for those guys are like non first round picks, uh, Judy's, uh, Palmer's, uh, basically guys that you don't want, Ritter's, and Willis's, which is which is unfortunately gonna stall this segment up in a hurry. Maybe, I mean. Always have the uh, hail mary of hey, what if I what if I add to Godwin to get the twenty three first? Yeah, no, that's uh, yeah, unfortunately if the best player in the deal is Chris Godwin, my twenty three first will reside with me. Ah, well, I tried. Oh, we well, tried. I tried. I'll, I'll make a note to Matt to uh, <laughs> to, to exit <laughs> exit the session because we don't need to have a failed yeah. trade negotiation okay. as a part of the podcast. Um, honestly, though, I know um, it sucks. I, I hate trading; it's the worst. <laughs> Text me about Kelsey uh, when we get off the air. Okay. Mickey Mouse, that's a guy I'd actually might be more willing to put ones into than than Camara or uh, okay or, or Garwin. Um, Damn it! All right, I, tried. I, I will think for twenty-four one for Kamara. I'm moving twenty-four ones. No, you know I did that league. In, I did that in a different league. Might as well try. You moved Camara for a twenty-four one, or you moved your twenty-four one for Camara? I moved Camara for a twenty-four one. Yeah, that's fair. So I, I'm yeah. actually I would consider moving wow. Camara. I would consider moving Camara, or I would consider moving a 24-1. I'm in another league where I'm looking to buy, mm-hmm. and I have a 24-1 that's not mine. Yeah, that's projected to be late. That guy's team is really sick, and it's like year four of this league, so it's pretty okay. like, predictable in terms of what picks are going to be high and what picks are going to be low. Yeah. Um, and I'm considering moving his 24-1 for Camara. I, I don't in this league. It's you're one of a startup. I think my team's good, but things can change. Uh, and I just I don't like the lack of flexibility in not having my own one two yeah. years out. Like moving somebody else's one. If you move somebody else's one and it ends up being way higher than you expect, it's like well, whatever. That sucks in hindsight. That pick mm-hmm. was way better than you expect. Uh, right. Maybe we'll keep this in now for Matt because this is actually actionable. Yes, um, but Matt, while we're talking about stuff for Matt, cut out all the parts where we're talking about this league because I, I want to go send out <laughs> for everyone else's 24 ones. Before, yeah, this, this league this we'll league is made this. up of people that listen to the podcast. This is the Gabe Davis Stands League. Uh, <laughs> and they listen to this podcast. So Matt, cut everything out. Make sure no one knows my master plan. And they no, don't they know hear your master plan. No, 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 no. They no, will no, hear no, your no. master plan. You're going to cut it out, Matt. We will um, not cut it out. You're gonna he's um, gonna be nice to me because look, every single one of my podcasts that I do with Ian are an hour long mm-hmm. and we're good. We stay within a time constraint right. that's and reasonable. We're also to staying edit. within a time constraint that's reasonable. We're still under two hours. Um yeah, I think my, my thoughts on, on that is like I would right, if you trade someone else's pick and it ends up being way better than you think, like obviously that sucks. Like yeah. if I trade a pick that I'm projecting to be one nine to one twelve for Alvin Kamara and it ends up being the one oh three, I feel like a donk. 
but it's it, it that's it that's the end of the harm right it's way worse when you trade away your own pick and then that pick ends up being significantly higher than you think because it just constrains how you're able to act right like you end up yeah, being forced absolutely. to go in on teams that you don't want to go in on right Mickey Mouse you end thing. up being you end up being reliant on other people right like mm-hmm. i've i have that slot where it's like i i had one spot in a league where i actually have a pretty decently high value team which is kind of why i wasn't that work like i had traded my first away unfortunately two years ago and a big deal to get um ironically barkley who ended up being a player that i went up selling in the spot and i had a team where it was like just kind of caught in purgatory right and i talked about this in the column i call it league market determinism essentially where the league determines what you want to do with your team and wasn't like a low value team. I had another team's first in 2023 that looked to be in the mid range first. I had three seconds, two of which were projected to be very early seconds. Um, I had extra picks in 24 and 25, not first, but extra seconds. And I had like a bunch of young players in Drake London, Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson, Devonta Smith, uh, David Njoku, Trey McBride, all these other kind of guys. And, you know, the problem was, oh, T Higgins. Um, Problem was, like, the only guys who were providing significant value for replacement on the team was really just Barkley. Otherwise, it was like I had guys like Sanders, Hunt, Pollard, T, you know, guys that were good supporting cast members. And the quarterback was a serious problem. I had Zach Wilson, I had Jimmy Garoppolo, I had Matt Ryan. And it was like, well, this team's value is fine. Like, I'm going to be able to solve the quarterback issue eventually through the draft. But it's like, what are we doing this year? Like, I can't win a championship with Zach Wilson and Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. It's just not tenable. Um, unless I'm like a leak everywhere else. And I'm really not. I'm just kind of good everywhere else with one elite guy in Barkley who's separating. But it was like, realistically, kind of we have to go like one of two options. It's like either we have to trade our young stuff that we've amassed to go buy points and actually try to play to win, you know, or we have to get rid of Barkley. But I was stuck in the spot where it's like, I'm stuck without my first. And so I'm reliant on someone else being able to essentially give me a way out because realistically only way that it made sense to fold up trying to win this year is if that helped accomplish my existential problem, which was not having quarterbacks who score points and have long-term security. And so it's like either I need to trade Barkley into that or I need to get my first or, or ultimately do both. I was lucky enough to be able to do both. Basically I was able to go to the other guy. I was able to say like, Hey, you know, I have a soft schedule coming up. I could make playoffs. If you force me to trade off London and Burks and Totson, I will. Um, like, but, uh, you know, otherwise if I can like add a third and we swap these two mid firsts and I get mine back, like, let's do that. Luckily we were able to do that. I was able to end up essentially trading Barkley for Lawrence. And now, you know, hopefully I'll be able to add Lawrence plus Bryce or Stroud. We're all good. Let the rest of the team develop, but you know, potentially if that guy was like, no, fuck off. Right. (laughs) You, you end up being at the whim. you end up being at the whims of other teams. So yeah, long story short. Basically, just don't trade your firsts unless you're like dynasty tier uh, on my spreadsheet that you can't see. Unfortunately, um, yes. Even if you think that your first will be worse than the other teams, I would rather trade another team's first at this point. Absolutely. I, unless I it's like a stark, unless it's a stark difference. Like if you're mm-hmm. like this, especially year one of a league, if it's like year three of a league and you're like that dude's team sucks, it will always suck because he's so less valuable and my team is loaded then it's different. But if you're coming out of year one of a startup, year two of a startup where things aren't stratified yet, just always trade other people's first because yeah. there's just way less knock-on effects. I think that's yeah. the last thing. Absolutely. And I, I was going to say, um, and this is something to consider is that 
Yes, when you have traded away your future first um, and your team's not in a position to contend, one, yes, like you said, you know, it's, it's very unpredictable whether or not you're going to be able to contend even like a year out in like 2024. Injuries can happen, wow. et cetera. Like when you, the further you go, the the harder it is to project and you can have wild swings in either direction, good or bad for your players. And then, but if you do find yourself in that spot, um, it is important to realize, you know, if you can't buy back your first, and maybe you agree with this, maybe you don't, mm-hmm. um, but just not falling victim to the sunk cost of right. what it is. And then looking at your team and say, okay, this team is made up of some guys who are definitely guaranteed their depreciated assets. They're going to lose market value. Um, the market value of my first does not matter right now because I don't have it. I can't buy it back. Right. I've tried. Mm. And so the best thing to improve the, the future of my team in this league where I can't contend, the best thing to do is to improve my future value and just take it on the chin and sell off my players. The person made a good deal. They got my future first and they, that first is going to end up in the top six picks. But at least I've extended my future and I've gotten back some value elsewhere by selling off my depreciating assets. I couldn't agree more. I mean, ultimately, I think it's like a pride thing. And I've fallen victim to this yes. in the past too. <laughs> That's what I'm like, doing in the Mickey Mouse League. Yes. Like one time, yeah. Like one time I was in a league with other uh, with other Twitter folks and I sold off my first and then just through like some injuries, the guys falling off. It was like, oh, this team has not got it. It still mm-hmm. made the playoffs. And then I just like lost the first round because I didn't have a very good team. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in hindsight, like, basically like at a certain point it became clear that i wasn't like a serious threat to win and it was a point where it was like well i just want to like save face i guess right it's like i want to look it's like okay if i sold my first and then i make the playoffs and then i lose it's like oh well it happens i made the playoffs you know i lost that's just the way it goes and it doesn't look as bad as like tanking without your one or going back to the other manager and groveling to get your one back but at the end of the day it's like what does that actually accomplish right i think it's I think a big part of dynasty is like, yeah, don't be prideful, right? You don't have mm-hmm. to be prideful. You have to make the best decision at the time that you make it. Um, s- sometimes it's no slight, right? Like one league, for instance, it was way easier to make this difficult call because I happened to win last year. And it's a home league with like a lot of people that I like. It's like, it would be embarrassing to like have a really bad team, especially that my first. <laughs> and this team does not sound like, in theory, should ever be contemplating having to sell assets. Yeah. Um, like it was entering the year, it was like it was Sean Watson, Trey Lance, Daniel Jones, quarterback. We had Barkley, Aaron Jones, ETN at running back, Cooper Cup, AJ Brown, Deontay Johnson, Brandon Cooks, Jahan Dotson, and like whatever else at yeah. wide receiver. Uh, Mark Andrews tight end. It's like this team fucking rocks. <laughs> like this team's not gonna have problems. Look, a few things happen. Like now, some of those assets were kind of traded to grab along the way. Whatever. I'm not gonna go through the whole history. Anyway, turns out basically we just kind of kept losing some games. We had some injuries. Whatever else, some of these guys were guys we had to trade for. But I ended up being where a buy just wasn't gonna happen. And ultimately, this coop and it's a really stratified league because it's been going for a couple of years. So it's like there's four teams like literally trying to lose every single week, and that mean and it's a median league. So basically, you have eight teams trying to compete to beat the league median. So you have like six out of eight get a win basically every week because the other four are just on a different universe. So it's probably going to take like eighteen and ten to make the playoffs or seventeen and eleven to make the playoffs. So I entered last week eleven and seven. I was one of five teams that were eleven and seven. 
uh, and wound up losing to another 11 and seven team pretty much on the Cooper cup injury. Like I had Cooper cup just like kept playing. I probably would have won and I probably would have beat the median and said, I, I lose another this medium. It's like, well, I could probably make the playoffs, but what's the point? I end up selling in that league. It made me very sad. I sell AJ Brown and Aaron Jones for Chris Olave, Traylon Burks and a 24 second. Um, and I'm happy with the deal and in, in a vacuum, but it sucked. Like I didn't have my first, I was planning to contend this year. I thought this was one of my best teams and you know ends up not happening i i think it felt easier because i had won that league the previous year if i hadn't it would have been way more embarrassing but at the same time that would have been the right call regardless or the wrong call regardless if people think it's the wrong call but either way like you shouldn't be you shouldn't let it be determined essentially based on your pride based on whether you can save face you should do what's best for your team going forward it'll help you win in the future um and ultimately one thing i'd say too if you do things in leagues that make you look dumber, it will actually help you in trades, right? Like, like there's leagues where I've like consistently been crushing people in deals, like getting lucky on the right side of deals and winning a lot of games. And it's hard to get deals done because people think that I'm like up to something or that I know something they don't Mm -hmm. in the leagues where things have gone catastrophically against me. They're easy to get deals done. People are lining up to to do deals with the idiot. Right. So it's not the worst Mm -hmm. thing to look like the idiot sometimes. Yes. All right. Yeah. All right. It's been two hours. I think that's probably enough time. It's time to flip the Mickey Mouse team into a 23 first list tank tank job. Who who has your 23 first camera? Oh, you're never getting that back. I know. That's what I was about to say. Like, he is holding on to that. Like, what am I going to do to get my first bag? Here's my bag. Here's my best, uh, highest valued player, Christian McCaffrey. Take him. Take him on your team that's two and eight and give me my first back in some else, something else. No, not gonna happen. So, nah, yeah, it's over. The dream is dead, pretty much. <laughs> to be right. fair, it is, it is like distinct tiers in terms of record where it's everyone top six. I'm the last of the six in terms of record, but then there's two wins back. I'm two wins ahead of seventh place. So, you know, sneak into the six seed. What's it? What's it gonna end up doing? Save I mean, look, a little I'm, bit. I'm, well, I'm currently the three seed. So if it were to end as it were today, we'll see each other in the quarterfinal. Ah, well, I'm fucked because that's the team he was talking about earlier. Where every week he's benching Damian Pierce because his team's too yeah, but stacked. my quarterbacks are mid, and I'm certain freaking Gerald Everett. All right, that's enough. Yeah, we'll this is Sweat and Bullets, a fantasy football podcast. Shout out to Akash for joining us for giving the two hours that listeners of this podcast are, are come accustomed to, to yes um akash where can people find you what are you working on what are some cool things about you as we send you off yeah so i'm on twitter at yzr underscore fantasy uh i'm verified now which means that i'm basically better than everyone else and so you should go follow me um I work with Mojo, the sports Ooh, stock market. Stock up, stock up. Absolutely. And they're, I'm having a lot of fun working with them. And if, obviously, they're only licensed in New Jersey so far, but they're a great company. I'm very excited to be working for them and being with them as they grow. And so there's big things coming over there. Um, I'm in the Bulletproof Patreon Discord all the time. You can find me there if you're a patron. And if you're not a patron, then go ahead and subscribe because honestly it is just a star studded cast of people in the in fantasy football who just it's just 
so much bang for your buck. There's dozens and dozens of channels. There's half a dozen analysts in there constantly giving advice. Jacob's over here writing entire manifestos, entire dissertations about fantasy football. And it's just unbelievably worth it. I can't, I can't recommend it enough. And I think that's about it. I mean, you can find me on the other, the other show in the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Network, R Squared with Ian. And so that we keep our shows to a, a little bit more consumable one hour. You know, if you're, if you have a life, then yeah. If you have a Lucky life, you. then you know, you know, you might be more suited to for the for the one hour. You know, it's definitely yeah. sometimes Lucky. the larger the larger podcasts they're just it's just intimidating. You know. <laughs> so, All right. Well, before you speak ill of the podcast that you're currently on, my name is Jacob. You can find me on FF underscore RTDB. We'll be back next week. No, that's wrong. Oh no, you can't. Right, at Jacob Sanderson. Oh my gosh, at Jacob Sanderson. When it's our autopilot, you can find my article, Hitchhiker's Guide to Running Back, at PlayerProPower.com. You can find my uh, threat in the Bulletproof Discord uh, called Heuristics for Selling. You'll get a lot more uh, of this discussion in there. You can find all the other great work of our analysts, of course, in the Bulletproof Discord. Uh, and uh, yeah, make sure you tune in next week. I'll be back with Drew. I'm not sure what we're going to talk about. We might be talking still about trade deadline stuff. We're going to talk about it maybe from the buying side. We only talking the selling side this time. Mm -hmm. So make sure to check in back with that. And uh, yeah, have fun with your trade deadlines, with your dynasty leagues, with uh, everything else. Have a good one. Bye.